Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, everybody, we want to take a second to talk to you about an amazing sponsor. We have an amazing relationship with RayAllen.com. Ray Allen is a one-stop shop for everything dog, not just working dogs. Everything dog that you need, you can go down there, check them out, RayAllen.com. Awesome people. They got everything you need. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with a dog trip. They've been with us from the start. Uh, great callers, great ball poppers, great GPS tracking, big dog, small dog, bark collars, everything. I got everything that they have at the kennel. We use it every day. Be sure to head them up, dogtrip.com. Listen for the discount code later in the episode. Hits 2023 is being held in Scottsdale, Arizona. I hear they have a, at the hotel, they have like this super high-end shopping outside, and I think you can go surfing in the desert, which I'm super looking forward to. Anyway, Scottsdale, Arizona, August 15th to the 18th. So hurry up and register now to save a spot and make sure you get a room. Take the guesswork out of making sure you're feeding your working dog correctly by using Kinetic Dog Food. Hit them up at kineticdogfood.com and look them up on the Instagrams at Kinetic Dog Food. Take all the guesswork out and do it right from the beginning. We love Horizon Structures. Dude, this stuff is so awesome, man. You can get online. You can talk to them. You could build it. You want from mild to wild. They'll come bring it to your place, set it down on your pad, hook up your power, hook up your water, and you can put dogs in it that day. If you don't believe me, check out some guys like uh, Justin Rigney. He's got a great setup there. Ask him. Check him out, horizonstructures.com. All right, we are back. Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Uh, I am Ted Summers from Tulsa, Oklahoma, as usual, although it's super snowy. It's the end of January, and it's miserable. Uh, with me, as always, with, I'm sure, an equally cold Canton, Ohio, is Eric Stambro. Eric, what's going on? Yeah, it's freezing. Um, it was not bad, man. We've yeah. had a pretty easy winter, and then yesterday and today, it's really been bad. So my uh, wife is in Dallas, Texas. She flew down there to help our son paint his house. He bought a new house, had to gut it because there's a hoarder living in it. And um, had to gut the floors, gut everything. So she's down there painting. She's supposed to be home already. They keep delaying, delaying. Now she's now they're waiting on flight crew. And so who knows? One o'clock in the morning, she'll go do that. But, what the fuck? <laughs> what are you going to do? What the hell? Dallas, man. It, it like freezing rain all the time there. They have a, a lot of cancellation. They got a lot of problems in Dallas airport anyway so there's a lot of a lot of issues so what what's going on with your uh, <laughs> your uh, decoy class you got going there kid holy shit so i have a handler school going on we're in our second week of our handler school uh started monday <clears throat> with uh four handlers and then i also am running a decoy school for uh tpd we have several departments outside departments there that started monday through it's monday through wednesday it's a tuesday right now <clears throat> and uh yeah it's good it's back to see um eric johnson uh who by the time this airs, I think, oh, no, it won't. But he's the new USPCA president. Uh, was now is still an active handler at TPD. Great dude. He's been there for, I don't know, a long time. He's a great guy. TPD is a great unit. Um, they had a bunch of guys retire and get promoted out. Um, Eric told me today they lost, uh, they had 163 years of experience and they lost um, almost 100 years of experience with dudes retiring and, and promoting out. <laughs> Uh, so like, he's like, I need you to come back <laughs> I can do a decoy seminar. The new handlers are awesome. Uh, a bunch of new dudes. Apparently you got to have a mustache to handle at TPD now. 
Nice. So uh, that's neat. <laughs> Those are all of a good group of guys. Um, but it's great. So my new guys, my new handlers that are in school, I'm like, I told him last week, he's like, well, you're just going to bite people for the first three days and next week. So no drugs and no tracking, just all that in general. So that's what I've been up to. Uh, we finished a project for a um, nonprofit uh, dual purpose bomb dog that went to an active war zone. Uh, he's there now uh, and is already successful. So that's fun. Uh, but other than that, it's more of the same. Uh, we pick up, we've got dogs in process uh, for my, I'm already losing track, March, April class. Uh, and then my April, May class, the dogs get delivered on next week that we're going to go down and pick up. So they'll start the process. So we got a bunch of green dogs. Uh, yeah. So worky, worky pets. I have 190 pound Great Dane in the 190 pound human aggressive Great Dane in the kennel right now. Nice. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, when they told me how big it was, I was like, there's no way that dog's that big. And they brought it in. I was like, holy shit. Did you bring a fucking saddle with it? Hmm. Because it's every bit that big. So, um, but it's a normal stuff. Leash reactivity when the handler's around or when the, when the owner's around handler, when the owner's around and when the owner's gone, it's fine. So, I mean, I know what the problem is and my trainers know what the problem is and we're going to fix it, but it's still, they were like 190 pound aggressive. I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> not, not what, not what I was expecting, no, but no. Yeah. It's funny. Sorry, we have a, the guy at, at the facility, we have 170 pound um, English Mastiff. He started on Monday. The weirdest thing with him, he's a real nice dog. The real, weirdest thing with him, which is contrary to every dog we train, <laughs> he will down like a champ, fights the sit. The exact opposite of every other dog ever who sits and fights the down. Um, yeah, you can't run if you're down. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you're scared, you can't run when you're down, bro. So yeah. down that is nobody. So, so yeah, I want to say something real quick before we introduce the guest. So, um, back I got into the canine unit in 2005, and in my first handler class, there was four of us in the class. When one, two of the dogs were dual purpose explosive dogs. So Gary, who was the trainer, brought in a guy named Tim Wilmoth. Who was and I didn't know Tim. I'm brand new to you know everything. He brings T Tim in to assist with the training because Tim, Gary hadn't done an explosive dog yet, and Tim that's where his main thing was. So he brings him in, and Tim was, um, as it turns out, very very well known in our area, old time forever Schutzen trainer, Schutzen competitor, police dog handler, police dog trainer, um, breeder of shepherds uh, forever, and. Uh, continued to compete him and his wife um in with several different dogs all the way to uh you know shoots and three on everything tim was um it was funny during class we couldn't get my dog to do the halfway down where they come and halfway at the down right which now is so simple and stupid but tim was the one who who taught me the concept of pay the dog where you want him to be so I'm out in the field during lunchtime and they're trying to, and I'm trying to get this and she keeps fucking breaking or she's breaking the two minute down. And I'm trying to just, I don't know fucking nothing, right? The trainer's in there eating lunch. So I'm just trying to get reps in and he comes out and he goes, how about this? Throw this the is ball. with Gina, right? Yeah. Throw the ball to yeah. Gina. Just throw it to her when she's in the down. Don't keep calling her to you. When she gets to the halfway down, if you get her to, to stop or at least slow down, throw the ball over her head. Just pay her where you want her to be. And I'm like, that's so fucking stupid. 
Like, I mean, not it's so simple. And dude, I have never <laughs> forgot that. I use it all the time. There's still a myriad of people who I blow their mind when I tell them, you know, we do recall and the dog comes back and lays down. I make the decoy run all the way in and give the dog a bite at the handler because that's where we want him to be. Reward him in place, make him stay, walk all the way back up. This part of the micro skills things you talk about one thing at a time. But anyways, um, I got word just before we start recording that Tim passed away today. Um, he was the breeder and uh, vendor for Jethro and um, Jethro's uh, his handler's predecessor. That that handler's first dog came from Tim. Several other dogs came from Tim. Jethro came from Tim. He um, anytime anybody called me about, you know, and you guys probably see this a lot. Hey, do you know anybody who breeds shepherds? I'd like to get a good shepherd. I send everybody to, to Tim and Kathy. And um, he passed away fighting cancer for a few years. So for those of you out here listening that know me and know Tim, you know, pour one out for him tonight. Uh, Tim was a good dude, man. He was a good guy. So anyways, um, tonight's guest uh, will sound familiar and look familiar to some of you. Um, I personally believe that that our guest is one of the most prolific police dog trainers in this country that like nobody knows outside of california unless you are a fan of podcasts because um he just is like that he's working he's he trains more dogs than ted and i combined together he's been doing it forever uh he is the uh co-host of, of police canine radio owner of DTAC canine uh our good buddy greg tawny greg how are you well, shit, that, that's a hell of an introduction, Eric. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, uh, and I don't know about that. Like, you guys are doing the pet thing, right? So how many dogs are you guys actually training, right? Well, yeah, uh, I mean police dogs. Like, you're, you're yeah. for those of you who don't know, like, you know, our back at back home, Police Canine Association, we had 30 dogs, 28 to 30 dogs. Um, a lot, we'll see a lot of groups, 5, 6, 10 dogs. Um the Boston group is like almost 200, which is insane. But un- but after that, Greg's training group is the largest I ever heard of. Now, there's, there might be more, you know, but um, I remember Rich, his co-host, was telling me that. I'm like, get the heck out of here. I go, how is this guy not teaching at every conference, at every seminar, at, at all this stuff? And it's funny because prior to your beginning of Police Canine Radio, I didn't know who you were. I never, you know. It didn't drift east, like your name didn't drift east. What the hell's yeah, going just on? Keep my man? head down, just, tra- just training dogs, <laughs> doing what I love, brother. <laughs> yeah, when you have ninety dogs in your training group, I guess there's no time for much else. <laughs> yeah, I think we're uh, twenty-four agencies, probably yeah, seventy-five to eighty dogs. Um, so it, it it's uh, uh, it keeps <laughs> us busy, but it's uh, it's a problem, right? When it's your passion, um, and people knock on the door. It's, um, you know, it's hard to say no. And then I, I get excited, you know, when we get a new, a new agency in and, and um, you know, they've, they've had maybe a little subpar training, we'll call it. And then they come in and, and we get to, uh, we get to kind of just get into it and just kind of teach, you know, some more progressive methods. And um, it's just it's so fun. Right. And then I feel so privileged to do it because I love it, you know, and, and, and just like you guys, like, you, you know, you don't get to where you are by just making it like a nine to five, this is kind of what I do. Like it's, it's in your blood, you know, dogs are in your blood. And when you love it and it's your passion, um, you know, you just throw yourself into it and then uh, and don't look back. 
Well, we're going to get into like your business model here in a little bit because it, I'm so fucking jealous of it, man. The way you do things is absolutely brilliant on, on the business yeah, side of the, of the house. Um, so let's let's uh, do our thing where we get everybody to give us our background. Let's let's talk about your history a little bit and how we got to today. Sure. And, and Eric, I think we talked about it. I feel like you're my uh, doppelganger in, in Ohio because uh, we had like mm-hmm. a similar similar background. Um I actually got a German Shepherd back in 91, 92, and uh, like we call it a gateway breed. Like you talk to all these trainers and it always starts out with like, I got a German Shepherd and didn't know what to do with it. And so um, took it to an old German trainer and he was very much like healer method. Uh, it was very uh, old school, I would say, right? Like it's, and I think you had the same uh, background with that, Eric, where it was like, if you had food out there, then you're bribing them. Uh, no toys, uh, choke chains only. Uh, if you showed up with a with a pinch collar on your dog, man, he just went after you, you know. And so uh, we would sit around, and and I, I started out there with my, my puppy, and he asked me to to help out with obedience, just to volunteer my time. And of course, I was like, heck yeah! And uh, we would go to obedience classes, and we would be out there, and and an old lady would, you know, they'd be like twenty, you know, uh, civilians out there with their dogs and all all different shapes and sizes, and we would just take bets, like, okay, who's Heinz going to make cry? Because in the very first class, there was always somebody that <laughs> cry because he was just that direct. Um, but he had, a, he had a heart of gold, you know, when it came to, he loved the dogs, but, and thought he was doing what was right. And I, I learned a ton from him. So for that, I'm eternally grateful. Um, but I started going out there and then um, wound up doing a ride along with one of the canine handlers because he had a couple agencies and I went, this is what I need to do. And at the same time, I volunteered my time out at Heinz's on Tuesday, Thursday nights, Saturday mornings, doing the protection stuff. And uh, put myself through the academy in the evening and then um, started in 96. I started my police career with a really a small agency out here. Its population was like 3,500. But the chief of police said, hey, if you, if you come here within six months, we're going to give you a dog. And I was like, well, awesome. Well, I'll, I'll do it. And I had a German Shepherd at the time. It was actually a, a pretty good dog. Um, not because I selected him or knew what I was doing in training. It just genetically, he was a good dog. And so um, started there and um, worked him for about a year, year and a half there before going to a, another agency. But, um, you know, and that was for me, um, one of my, you know, my motivations to eventually start Police Canine Radio was because I thought, look, I got to reach those guys like me because I'm just lucky I didn't run into somebody that wanted to do me in because, you know, I didn't know anything about tactics. All my training was with a sleeve and it was field work and you know, nothing, um, nothing reality based. My dog, I don't even think it's seen a bite suit when we went 10-8. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was pretty rudimentary, right? And so um, I went from there to another agency, promoted uh, to the rank, I worked another dog and then promoted to the rank of lieutenant all the same time I was training dogs on weekends. I had a PSA club. Uh, we did PSA. Uh, my wife at the time uh, got a PSA one with her dog. Um, so kind of was involved in the sport dog stuff, um, met a guy named Brian Mowry, who now trains for the secret service, got really fortunate doing that because he was a pro trainer for Tritronics. So I got a good e-collar background doing the three action introduction, understanding, you know, what levels to work on. That was back when they had the plugs, you know, you had to take out a plug and put it in another plug and, um, got a call from Elk Grove, uh, police department, which is in Sacramento County. And they said, Hey, we're starting a unit. And we want you to um, get the first, do a handler class for the first six dogs. 
And uh, all this time I was training uh, police dogs. And so we're talking at this time, probably 2005. So I'd been training police dogs for about 10 years um, in the Yuba Sutter area. And, um, and I, I was making $5 a month per dog. So there was no money in it. I was just excited to do it. You know, um, didn't even cover my gas expenses because the friggin' was an hour and 20 minute drive round trip. Um, so doing PSA on Saturdays, doing the police dogs on Thursdays, balancing, you know, cop work in between. And so, um, they called me and said, you want to come, come down and do the training? I said, yes. At this time I was a Lieutenant about six months. And, um, one of the handlers had gone back. It was a, it was an upstart agency. It, it was a part of Sacramento County. Then the city incorporated, they started the police department population, about 150,000 people in the city. And so um, they offered me, uh, one of the handlers had left and gone back to the county and they said, hey, do you want to come and um, be a handler? You know, and that time, uh, again, I was, I was a lieutenant. And I, I, I was sitting in my office, I think the week before, and I had a dispatcher in my office and she was crying because the other dispatchers were, were not treating her properly. And you know, it was just like, man, what did I do? Like I got into law enforcement because number one, I love dogs. And then, you know, I loved the aspect of working a dog on the street and I, I enjoyed the cop end of it. And so, um, I like to say I trained my butter bars in for a leash and just went down to Elk Grove and then handled another a dog for about two more dogs for about a total of about 11 years or so, um, before promoting to Sergeant retiring, which honestly was, was probably a mistake. Um, cause I really enjoyed the dog end a lot more than I, I enjoyed being a Sergeant. But, um, during all that time, I kind of built, uh, DTAC. Um, cause I was training, um, so from steady from 91 volunteering for about five years and then starting really 96, 97 training on my own, um, uh, throughout that time. And just kind of, um, just doing both, you know, being a cop and training dogs to the point where I retired, it was like, okay, either I stay in law enforcement or I've got to make a decision just to do, to do, uh, dogs full time. And, um, things have kind of blown up since I retired. So. Yeah, I yeah. remember when so you retired. That, you retired since you started the podcast, right? Yeah, um, I, it was about at the same time because I started freaking out because I'm like, "Oh shit, I'm gonna, I'm gonna retire!" Like, I need to start really investing more time into the dog business. And um, and honestly, I'm I'm probably like I'm, I know I'm like you guys because I, I know your schedules as well. And it's like I'm one of those guys. I, I I've got to be doing something. You know, I, I just can't have that like chill out mode like we can i can take like a week off or here and there and but honestly i'm i've, I've realized i'm that personality uh -huh. where i'm just i'm just happiest when i'm out and i'm doing the grind and um you know that kind of kind of gives me my peace is, is staying busy ted uh so i'm going to back up real quick um i started i took over as the trainer in end of 2010 beginning in 2011 I didn't start using food in obedience training till I like after we started this podcast, like to the beginning of 18, like not even that long ago. So um, I, I do a thing now in my e-collar without conflict uh, class when I'm doing the classroom part in the morning. I say, listen, we're going to do this 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 week and we're going to use food. And I promise you, <laughs> if you came into this building and not liking penis, using food with your working dog will not change that period. It will not change. You will not all of a sudden become, you know, gay. Like that was the whole thing. Uh, if your, your dog's a pussy, if you use food, your working dog. And it's like, 
<sighs> I probably said that back in I can, the day. I, I can hear you saying this in my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know if we've ever asked that, Ted, when you started using food with obedience. I got using food when I got tired of fucking bit, getting bit mm-hmm. and fighting with fucking stupid dogs over tugs or balls. Uh, I had this conversation today at this decoy camp. Uh, there's a local trainer who will forever tell me that she was not instrumental in my fucking canine upbringing or whatever. But I came to her. Her name is Suzanne Shelton. I came to her um, about mm, 10 years, not nah, nine, 10 years into my like dog training experience. And um, my entire experience was make them do it. Yank them like, you know, ask, do tell. Or it'd be basically just forcing them to do something. And if they don't, I got tired of getting eaten up by dogs. So I got progressively stronger and stronger dogs. Um, the dogs that lived in my house were different. Um, I had two Malinois beforehand, Tweak and Booger, that were different than like the dogs that I tried to train. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to train these dogs like I train my other dogs. And it didn't work that way. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> Suzanne is pretty well known in this area. Um, the fantastic. And she'll argue with me. I don't give a shit. This is my podcast. She can kiss my ass. But she's a fantastic trainer and a magnificent uh, clicker trainer. And she uh, taught me how to not get eaten up, her and her husband, Larry. And I was able to take what I learned from her and handle some gnarly, gnarly, gnarly imported dogs that had bite histories, that had some pretty, pretty severe learned handler aggression. And I was able to overcome that with food. And I was able to overcome that with... I mean, at, at this point, and like I kind of went through that phase in my career where I kind of took it as a badge of honor that I could take these dogs on and convert them and then sell them to police departments. Eric, you remember one of those dogs, Taz, mm-hmm. that I got from you guys uh, who literally just was put down a month ago. Uh, he bit uh, a ton of people, including me, uh, or tried to bite me. But um, he was one of those dogs. And um, he was one of those dogs that, you know, I it wasn't early and in this process, but he was one of those dogs that I spent several weeks just like feeding by hand and clicking and doing obedience and doing everything else. I actually have a dog right now in the kennel from a department close, well, semi-close regionally close to here that, um, smoked his handler a couple times and the admins are like, now we're out on that. And I'm going through my protocol that we use to deal with dogs like that. And I'm going to convert him and kick him to another department. So, Right. Uh, with, and I'm not going to hide it from him. He smoked him. He bit a handler. He did this, he did that. But if you don't do this and don't do that, and we'll put him to a handler school and all the whole thing. But yeah, um, I, I have been through that point in my life where I was like, fuck this dog. I'm going to make him do it. And then there's a reason I have all these tattoos is to hide all the scars. Yeah. So yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm out on that. I hate getting bit by dogs. I'm over it. <laughs> it's <laughs> funny because it, we basically did the same thing. And that's what I was taught how to keep handle suspects right you ask them Mm -hmm. you tell them and then you make it happen and that that's how that's how we're training our dogs right and Uh, you just jump to make it happen (laughs) yeah yeah we told them once and then bang and so um it was funny too because when i was with with hindsight going out to the local pet shelter the animal control and they were doing obedience classes there and we were doing hot dogs with our puppies so and and that's kind of what the progression was that got me into more of a motivational mindset that brian mallory because he was ahead of his time um but i was putting hot dogs in my mouth 
because we it's funny because we understood Pavlov's dogs and you go, okay, yeah. yeah, the bell and the food. Yeah, that's great. Anyway, where's my, where's my choke chain? <laughs> I gotta get back to dog training. <laughs> you know, we started yanking them around, but I went out to this, um, this animal control and, and I was spitting hot dogs out of my mouth and my dog was learning focus, you know, and then sit. And then I took him out to Heinz's training and, and somebody's like, well, how does he get his dog to look at him? And Heinz is like, it's a well-timed correction. You know, <laughs> like everything was correction. There was nothing. Mm. There's the only positive reinforcement was like a pat on the head, you know, good dog. Um, yeah, but I, I guess that's what how, praise. that was it, man. Yeah, and all the and time. it's, uh, it, it's crazy how far things have come, but we didn't have all the social media and YouTube and all these mm -hmm. things. So like, if you were going to get extra Fuck, training, we have cell phones. No, 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 no cell phones. Dude, e-collars, you had to change e-collar stimulation by changing the yeah. fucking battery pack on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, we, we take out the plugs. Oh, this is, this is, a, this is yeah. a green plug dog. Oh, I Yeah, exactly. Plug. This is a good, yeah, no, go get the black one. And yeah, everybody's like, oh, one. shit, yeah. the black one. Oh, man, Ooh, it's like that. Bad. And you're like, yeah, bad. okay. <laughs> so, yeah. real quick. Oh, um, man. You know, over here on the east coast uh we always hear because of the um mainly california ends up being pigeonholed by la san diego san francisco that that whole area and i spent a lot of time with rich you know your coast and everything and rich retired as a cop and a handler too um yeah he says all the time that that actually doing cop work in california is pretty nice with the exception of a few yes. places and very well received by the public uh, you want to talk about that real quick, like what your experience was? Well, um, one thing we have is the Peace Officer Bill of Rights out here. And so um, what I've noticed is in a lot of other states, they just can freaking ax you or, or fire you within a couple of days. And, and out here, um, you actually get a lot of a lot of um, there's a lot of hoops that the agency has to fall, fall go through and, and then you can continue to appeal it. And then a lot of them, they'll, they'll adjourn like a personnel board hearing where you get cit a citizen to come in. And they will actually dictate whether you could be fired or not. So you get to plead your case to people that are outside the agency, which I know is a lot different than, than, than back east there as far as like, so if you have a chief that can't stand your guts, it really like it can make obviously make life difficult for you on the promotional side or, or if you're getting internal affairs investigations. But as far as firing you, it's, it's a lot more difficult. But um, so we had those protections, uh, which are nice. And then. Um, conversely, yeah, I mean, depending on where you work, I mean, like our guys, they go through Starbucks, you know, half the time they got a car behind them, you know, paying for their coffee and that type of thing. Um, and so, um, like where I worked, it was nice. There was a little, we, we bordered South Sacramento, which is like the not so great area. So we had some influence there where it gave us a little bit of crime, but generally most people there are taxpayers and, um, they appreciated having law enforcement there. And then like the area I live, I mean, we've got, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of the state of Jefferson. Uh, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like there's like state of Jefferson with Columbus signs out here. There's like, don't blame me. I voted for Trump signs, you know? So it's, it's mainly uh, much more conservative in the rural areas, you know? And then it's just, yeah, you got San Francisco and LA, you know, and they just, you know, that's where all the politics are as far as, you know, the, um, you know, a lot more of a liberal um, mindset there. Um, but I feel like, like where I live is would be closer to like a Texas, right? Um, so it's a, it's a real diverse state. But um, yeah, I think overall, mostly in Northern California, uh, but the closer you get to San Francisco, um, there's certainly some DAs there that have made like the statements like, 
you know, they would go after a cop kind of thing. Like if they, if they felt like they yeah. stepped out of line, like they're coming for you, you know? And, and so that's, that's kind of been a, you know, when I, I, so I, I train areas like where I live, which are, you know, kind of the rural areas, but then I've got uh, contracts that are in the Bay area. And it's interesting, the policing just in a hundred mile drive is, is kind of drastically different. I mean, I've got agencies closer to San Francisco that go, yeah, there's like three crimes I would send my dog on, you know, and it had to be like murder, like attempted murder <laughs> and like, yeah. you know, child molestation. Like they're like, I'm really? not getting my dog out of the car with, unless it's something at that level. And then I've got other agencies in some of the other areas where it's like, oh, you're, you're put down from a stolen vehicle. Boom, you're getting bit. And then everything in between. So it's, yeah, it's pretty we diverse HRD out there uh, in San Francisco. And uh, I'll just not mention the department, but the, uh, the the hosting agency was on the was has been on the podcast, and they're it, really quick, really is quick. It to... South of San Francisco, like a southern. Part of <laughs> yeah, the... yes, it's south of San Francisco. <laughs> it might even be South San Francisco. <laughs> uh, but Marty and those guys, and they're quick to tell you, they're like, "We're not San Francisco PD. We are South San Francisco." And you're like, "Yo, all right, like, <laughs> hey." And when you get there, you understand why, <laughs> like, super quick. Um, and, and they do a great job. I mean, as far as I could tell, and I think actually we're in Redwood city, uh, which was a little strange, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's a similar deal and it was weird because we had teams from Oregon. We had teams from Idaho. We had teams from all over Northern California and like exactly what you're saying, Greg, like those, like the multitude of like, I'd never bite somebody for that. And then you had people they're like oh yo i'm now i'd bite him a hundred times for that a hundred times mm-hmm. for that i'd bite him and it was the so setting up scenarios for that and we're like okay here's your gram factors like his and they're like oh we can't bite him and then the next guy in line's like oh all day long I, all day long so it was for my end it was super challenging because i'm like um <laughs> like what like I so I'm like you guys read case law right I mean and they're like yeah we have policy I'm like okay well I'm not gonna fucking I'm not gonna divide design policy I'm not gonna design scenarios today around a fucking bullshit policy but I and I get it like if you're in a training group and that's the thing that you have to do and it is what it is I when we were in I was just in Canada for with the RCMP which for those listening that are in the United States uh like everyone listening to this it's a cop or can handler is familiar with Graham. So we have these things that we have these three things we got to check off. We're like, Oh, we got a bite. So we have these three factors we deal with. We're in Canada and I'm giving them the speech. I'm like, you know, we have the Graham and, and they all look at me like kind of blank. I'm like now. And so the code word there is if they're there illegally, if they're arrestable, they're biteable. Huh. And hmm. I kind of blinked and I was like, say net what? They're like, yeah, no. So then every building search condition became no known weapons and they're here illegally. They're like, okay, cool. I'm clear. I'm like, oh, damn, okay. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. So this is how bad it got. It gets in the Bay Area. It's, so um, I'm trying to come up with scenarios, right? Same thing. Like I'm going to give you a set of circumstances. And um, I, again, close to San Francisco agency. And I'll go, hey, um, okay, uh, the guy's in there. He's not coming out. Uh, he's wanted for a DV. He really tuned her up. You know, we got her outside and, she, you know, we're going to go, hmm. No, we're going to walk away. I'm not deploying. Okay, well, let's let's bump it up. Okay, this guy's wanted for assault with a deadly weapon. 
Um, he said he's going to shoot it out with the police. Right? Well, that's a SWAT call. And I, I dumb it down a little bit. And he's like, no, we're walking away from this one. And then I, I bump it up a little bit. No, that's a SWAT call. And I'm like, well, for shit's sake, either you're walking away or you're calling SWAT. Like, I couldn't even come up with, with a scenario that they're going to deploy into the house, you know, because everything is like, well, we'll just get him tomorrow. Like, oh, has he been drinking? Yeah, okay, well, and, and this is the one thing that we're doing out here sometimes. It drives me crazy, guys. Um, so um, law enforcement guys, you can, you can uh, I don't know if this is nationwide, but say the guy, um, say he tunes up his wife, um, significant injuries. He's inside. He's been drinking. Um, we've actually, and she's like, she wants to go back in the house. And we, there's agencies now that'll just walk away. Well, let's get her a hotel. We basically make, make the victim homeless. You know, let's get her a hotel and then uh, we'll just contact him later. You know, even though you got the good want because you don't want to be creating, you know, the use of force. Um, cause you know, how everything now they look all the way back to what, what, you know, started this incident. And if you could have maybe pulled out, then maybe that would help. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's the jobs become, you know, much more difficult, much more complicated, you know, within the last 10 years or so. Yeah. We're still biting domestic guys. We're going after them. We're pretty yeah, you're going to go inside here. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. The, the domestic violence, you know, is such a hotbed topic as mm-hmm. it should be you know and in ohio i have the is dude. a misdemeanor the yeah it is it is in oklahoma too with yeah. the exception mm-hmm. of um strangulation is uh, a felony but uh because we have that cool deal with mcgirt uh the supreme court case mcgirt we have like so technically this i'm recording in an, in an indian reservation and they have a completely separate different deal with when it comes to domestic violence but you know, uh, the county I live in has the dubious distinction of having one of the top three places of domestic partners killing each other. Uh, and not only that, like living situations killing each other. We've had multiple times of roommates killing each other. So judges in Tulsa County have started mm-hmm. issuing uh, emergency protective orders for not necessarily romantic partners, but people that just live together or cohabitated, even if it was a roommate situation. We had a dude shoot somebody else, shoot a guy over a fucking thermostat last year i, I can see that actually that well i mean <laughs> fucking eric god damn it bitch, get like, off the, so, get off yeah, thermostat. exactly don't fucking touch it right so <laughs> you've learned that your entire life right your dad told you 100 times don't touch it so and, and domestics are one of those things which i had that conversation the other day with my handlers in handler school we talk about where is because the one thing that i fucking hate is when they say we only bite felonies or it has to be this or it has to be that. And I'm like, federal court doesn't give a shit about felonies. They don't have classification of crimes. They don't give a shit. They care about Graham. That's what they care about. And they care about other case law applicable to like specific circumstances, but that's what they care about. They don't recognize a felony because a felony in one state is not a felony in another, right? Like, you know, Cal- Ohio has Eric, what do you guys have? Like 75 classifications of felonies. Uh, there's a lot. We have yeah. like, yeah. A, you have like A through fucking J or something, right? We have F1, 2, 3, 4, and five. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in Oklahoma, we have misdemeanor and we have felony. Like, that's that's it. Like, it's one or the other. So, and then we have other states around us that have multiple classifications that are in our judicial district. So when those cases get kicked for qualified immunity, federal courts are like, yeah, we don't give a shit. They evaluate the factors based on gram. That's what I tell people. So when I tell handlers, I'm like, look, you're clear to bite people for the most part. One, if it involves a weapon, right? And not necessarily a gun, but like a weapon, like a hammer, a bat, like something that's swinging around a machete, a knife, whatever it is, and or crimes against people. 
crimes against people are also gen and especially if they're like fleeing and trying to fuck with you quite a bit and like not wanting to be detained and giving you a ton of, of like a, a, quite a bit of resistance like all of that kind of meets those like that fourth magic fit well the fourth prong of Graham, which is kind of like there in the background for canine and i say look you know those are what we deal with and we look at the factors and or we look at the the nature of the crime necessarily serious because i do the bernie madoff example right? like nobody would argue that he's a, not a serious criminal because i mean he's in jail for so long his parole officer hasn't been born yet i mean he stole i don't know how many billions of dollars from rich people and nobody gives a shit he was so dangerous when they arrested him that he didn't they put him in the back of a suburban with no handcuffs on yeah. and that's how, how dangerous he was he didn't need to be bit and we've recently come into the child pornography thing where a lot of those guys getting arrested while that is not a crime. The possession of it is not a crime against against people. The possession of it is kind of innocuous in a sense of like a crime of like hurting someone physically. Now, the manufacturer is a different deal, but those guys routinely need a substantial amount of coercion to get detained. And a lot of times our, a lot of our guys have bit a lot of those dudes for just being arrested because they know what the crime is going to be. And that factors into all those things. So when people, when I hear those policies and I hear admins say, Oh, we only do this or we only bite felonies or we can only do this. And then my initial knee jerk reaction. And I'm glad that this episode is kind of right after the Gene Ramirez one where I don't think we aired that part, but I was like, you know, and we wonder why we have people argue we have a culture of death in this country where we'd rather shoot them and we're okay with it, but we don't want to bite them because it looks bad. And I'm like, and you know, when you say it that way, they're like, oh, it's not, yeah, you know, I mean, that's not really how it is, but they spend a ton of money defending that. But, you know, a legit canine bite that's clear on gram, top to bottom, no big deal. Nobody's going to argue it. And they're like, well, we're going to go ahead and pay out because we don't want to defend it. It's not that big of a deal. I'm like, and I'm one, and you wonder why. And you wonder why we have a culture that prohibit or that promotes that kind of activity. And people kind of look at me kind of sideways and they're like, well, you're not entirely incorrect, but I've never looked at it that way. But it's true. I'd rather bite someone than, I'd rather my handlers bite someone than shoot them. And in fact, I'd rather never them bite anybody, but they do. And I hope none of my handlers ever bite anybody, but they do. I hope they never have to fucking shoot anybody, but they have, and it sucks. And I wish we bit more people and shot less. That's just me. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people would think that way. So anyways, we're going to go ahead and take a break. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about large group training management or group training management um, in general. Uh, you know, you might be listening to this and you just got put in as the trainer. You have eight dogs in your training group and uh, you're like, there's nuances to this stuff and uh, we're going to get into it with Greg who um, definitely has way more dogs than I was used to. So uh, hang on guys, stand by. We'll be right back. All right. One of the largest conferences in the country uh, hits canine training conference. It's America's premier canine training seminar packed to the brim with the world's best instructors and me and Eric all covering important topics. There is no better place to learn and no better place to network with other handlers, breeders, trainers, and vendors. HITS 2023 is being held in Scottsdale, Arizona. I hear they have a, at the hotel, they have like this super high-end shopping outside. And I think you can go surfing in the desert, which I'm super looking forward to. Anyway, Scottsdale, Arizona, August 15th to the 18th. So hurry up and register now to save a spot and make sure you get a room. We'll see everybody there. Largest law enforcement training conference in the world. Tons of training classes. 
lots of training topics for everybody and everything hours included and more network opportunities be sure to hit up jeff barrett at 863-529-5113 hits canine letter k number nine dot net and at hits underscore canine and all of your socials one of the best relationships we have in this podcast and in this industry is with the great people down at kinetic dog food the story of kinetic uh, performance dog food is pretty simple they wanted to make a better premium dog food for the dogs that need it the most their goal is to give every working and sporting dog a higher energy level, better performance, and better overall health through superior nutrition. So they formulated a line of food based on what they considered to be the optimal profile of a performing of performance dog. They've done tons of research on this. This isn't their first rodeo. These guys know what they're doing. If you're a kennel, they will come to your kennel. They will see the problems that you have. They will check out what works for the dogs that you have. Um, they're amazing people to work with. They drop ship a pallet right to you if you want. Um, I know a lot of guys that use them. There's a bunch of different formulas on there. And uh, 32K might not be for your dogs. Maybe the 26K works. They can adjust it. They'll give you the right ideas what to do in different parts of the year winter's different than summer it's uh it's really a well-run good dog food um company kineticdogfood.com be sure to check them out on social media too man they're they're amazing folks kineticdogfood.com by now you've probably all heard my story at least once i'm usually getting tagged by dogs or hurting myself so this next product is like near and dear to me because i actually use it uh quick turn by vet care it does great for keeping small things from turning into big ones. I use it at the kennel for uh, clients' dogs that have some issues with skin stuff or have food allergies or have environmental allergies. Works great. Keeps hot spots from making giant hot spots. And it keeps my working dogs who inevitably find magnificent ways to hurt themselves from turning it into a giant vet visit. Stops little issues from becoming big ones. So it comes in a spray, it comes in an ointment, it comes in a dressing. It's great for creating a protective barrier and promoting wound healing. You really only have to use it like once a day. So there's no reason not to have it in the vehicle. Since it's temperature stable, you don't got to worry about it getting hot, getting cold, or anything like that. So put it in your first aid kit or put it in your cabinet. Vetcare.us on the internet. Quick Derm by Vetcare on the inter on Instagram and on Facebook. And then hit them up with the discount code 10WDR for 10% off your first order. So my entire time that I was a handler or a trainer in law enforcement, the cars at my department in the departments that I trained all had American aluminum accessory kennels in the cars, different cars, man, Dodge chargers, all Ford models, some Chevys, uh, SUVs, cars, everything. We loved American aluminum accessories. Um, it's a great product, a great company. They've been serving uh canine law enforcement community for over 20 years, if you check out their uh, website, EZ, that's the letter Z, EZRiderOnline.com, they got testimonials, they got videos on how to, they got a list of everything they have. Uh, just today, we made a post on the Working Dog Radio social media showing a dog that survived a really bad crash because of the American aluminum kennel in the back of the car. Check them out online, guys, EZRiderOnline.com. Just let them do their thing, man. Whatever car you got for your work, your patrol car, get a hold of them, American aluminum accessories, and get the best in the business. Next up comes uh, training courses online from our friends down at Highland Canine Training, Jason and Aaron Ferguson. So, in the post Rona world, uh, 
training budgets have been getting cut. People aren't going to be able to travel, whether it be instructors or they be canine handlers and supervisors going somewhere else for training. So Highland has announced a lot of online training courses. One of those that, that sticks out to me is their police supervisor canine course. And it's no secret that one of the problems with canine tends to be some of the supervision issues. This course is specifically designed for administrators and covers utilization as well as liability and FL, FLSA issues. The course can be taken at your convenience and you'll receive a certificate of completion at the end. When you go to Tactical Police Canine Training, that's letter K number nine, training.com and use the discount code WDR30, you'll get 30% off of that course. All right, everybody, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. Ted and I are sitting here with Greg Tawney from DTAC Canine and the co-host of Police Canine Radio um, broadcasting from out there in California. Uh, little known fact, Greg used to do most of his recordings like in a Starbucks parking lot or some shit yeah. stealing Wi-Fi. <laughs> Heck yeah. That's, that's the curse of living up here in the hills until uh, Elon Musk changed our life. And uh, yeah. Starlink, and now I can like be in my office, but uh, probably did 50 episodes in the front seat of my F-150, uh, kind of like pull the seat back a little bit, put the microphone to my mouth. I had to park right in front of Starbucks, uh, and then I could get a good enough signal, and then I felt like some kind of like deviant because I'm yeah. sitting there with a microphone, like looking around and like people are looking at me and uh, it looked a little weird, you know, nothing, but, uh, nothing to see here. <laughs> yeah. Move on. I, well, I should have just, I wanted to get my windows tinted out. So, but in a, luckily nobody ever like called law enforcement on me. Although, although I was in front of my neighbor's house once, um, uh, cause I, I could get a hotspot on my phone and, and nice. made them nervous cause they didn't know who I was and they just yeah, right. out and they're like, uh, can we help you? And I had to like put it on mute real quick during the podcast yeah. and have a quick conversation and jump back in. But, That's uh, luckily, gotta, uh, technology whatever, get it on the air, whatever you gotta do, yeah. get it on the air. That's it. And so like every, po every podcast it, it was an hour round trip just to freaking get the Wi-Fi. you know? Yeah. But, all right, so let's, we're going to get into the topic of the day is uh, group training management. Um, so at my retraining group, not not handler school, but retraining group, uh, 30 dogs typically. Um, so we would have uh, sometimes even more than that. It was up to like 38 dogs at, at some point. And we had training every Wednesday was maintenance training. Wednesday or Tuesday seemed to be the main days in this country of everybody doing their 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 you know, semi, semi monthly, whatever, every other week training. Uh, so we have groups split in half. I'd have, you know, maybe 20 guys, 12, 15 different times, um, each week. And what I would try to do is group A and B, whatever I, whatever I did for group A, I would then just redo it the next time for group B with some changes for guys that are having problems with some stuff. However, that's about half the amount of dogs that Greg has at his training group. And, um, I know that for me, at, at times, group training is a um, a conveyor belt, so to speak. Like, you know, I always say it's like this. It can you got to be careful. It can be like the soup Nazi where you step up. I would like a crab, medium crab bisque. Then you slide over, make your payment, slide over, pick up your soup. So it's like next, next, next. And there's a nuance to this. So talk about it, Greg. Like, what were you doing when you first started? compared to the kind of juggernaut that it has turned into? Sure. Well, when I first started, it was just me. And mm -hmm. um, I prim primarily did all the decoy work, 
and um, you know, did the training and I was a one man show. And so um, obviously uh, that's not the best model, right? Because the trainer can't be the one taking bites. Um, and so we would have to have handlers take bites occasionally. And of course they didn't like doing it. And of course they were, they were crappy at it because I say, yeah, they you know, sucked. <laughs> yeah. Cause they, they, they didn't care. Right. They just didn't want to get bit in yeah. the hand or the foot, you know, and then everything else just kind of fell in place from there. So, uh, or it's hot, right? So they want to wear a sleeve and then it's just the presentation is, is not good and everything else. So, um, that was really primarily how I did it actually for a long time. That was the model. And, I was making 10 bucks a dog a month or five dog. like I couldn't have employees. This is California. Like, you know what that costs? And so um, it's yeah. almost like you get what you pay for at that point. And so, but I was able to learn a lot. I really enjoyed the decoying aspect of it. I like the physicality. I like getting in the suit. I like sweating. I like that connection I got with dogs. So, um, so I, I enjoyed it. It was fun, but it, as far as the product, it could have been way better. But even back then, we weren't teaching tactics. I mean, we talked about this, like stand at the door, let the dog go in. He searches, you know, we we didn't really talk about, you know, like a slow, methodical search and, you know, um, just all the aspects into, into the how to work a police dog on the street. And so it was more or less the dog training. So as we grew um, into where we are now, like I, I picked up people along the way that have a passion for training police dogs. And, and this is the issue is like, I've had some really good handlers come out and, and guys that are like, man, they're, they're really good at what they do. And I'm like, Hey, do you want to come out and we can train? And it's hard when they can make, you know, three times the amount work in one overtime shift, you know, sitting in their car and, and, you know, physically a lot easier than coming out and working police dogs because working police dogs, it, it is physical. You know, even if you're just running searches or tracks and you're running with the handlers, you know, it's, 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 you're on your feet and it's eight hours and we push, 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 and it's actually a little downtime. So um, that's been the, the biggest challenge is finding like-minded people. Um, but I've got, you know, I got Phil Ryder. He's been with me now five years. He's a, a ring sport decoy level three, only one of a couple in the country. Um, he's competing with his dog, uh, at a level three level. And so he's, he's more than a decoy. He's a trainer that helps a lot. Right. I got Rich Hartman, same way. Like he loves dogs. He, and Eric, you can vouch for that. Like he's 24, seven dogs. Um, Chris Oliver, this guy, he trains pet dogs and it's, that's the theme, right? A, a lot of these guys, uh, like Rich, like, like you guys, like there's a pet dog element. He trains nose work to lots of offices and chihuahuas. You know, so like yes. the patience that takes and it's like little old ladies. Matter of fact, I'll, I'll have handlers come out and watch them. I'm like, look at this little old lady. She's 72 with a lopsa opsa and her daggone dog can find this this oil. You know, you're going to be able to, you, you know, we've got no excuses. Your dog's been specifically bred for it. You're paid. You know, she's here on her own time paying Chris. You're here making money doing it. Um, and then I've got guys, you know, like Jason Miller, Hector Villarreal. I got that are that have been handlers for many years. Again, they could make a lot more money doing something else, but they have a passion for this. So once you have people that have the same passion, it, it makes things go a lot smoother. So like an average training day, um, I, 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 there is a formula that I use. So uh, we come out and I do group obedience right out of the gate. And generally we do muzzle obedience because I love the muzzle because um, – Later on, like when we want to use it in bite work, we can use it for searches. I can put a guy under a blanket, right, for muzzle engagements. 
Um, you could put somebody in the back of a car for muzzle engagements. I like the idea that there's no equipment there, but to use a muzzle and, and bite work, they have got to be neutral to the daggone thing. So for every, like if, if the dog's got the muzzle on 10 times, nine times it's obedience. So they can't be fighting it at all. So the only way to do that is to desensitize them in obedience. And then now I can get my dogs close together, right? They can be shoulder to shoulder. And if we're going to have an issue, they got muzzles on so that we don't have any accidents. So the other things we'll do is we'll have the handler picking them up, pass the dog over to, to one of us on our, on the team. And then we carry the dog or we have them pick them up, put them up, take them over a fence, pass them over. Um, we kind of push the envelope. And then later on in searching, um, you know, we want to train to teach to send the dog from back in the stack, like number four, we can do that in a muzzle, right? And like, hey, can you make, can you send your, your dog past your two cover in front of you? I don't know. Okay, well, let's do it in a muzzle. For God's sakes, I'm not going to try it outside the <laughs> muzzle. At least it ain't going to be me up there, right, with some of these guys. So, um, so it allows us to kind of push the boundaries. So anyway, muzzle obedience right out of the gate. And then if we have, say, 15 dogs out there, everybody, we're going to do 15 minutes of obedience. You know, recalls down the line, recalls past other dogs. Everybody puts their dog in the down, leaves them, comes back, all that good stuff. Um, at the end of that session, I say, okay, now take your muzzles off. No big party. Obviously, otherwise that becomes the goal of muzzle work. So for all you handlers out there, like when the muzzle comes off, you don't give them the toy, right? Because then what are you rewarding? Yeah. The last behavior that you just did was just take the muzzle off. So yeah. <laughs> take the muzzle off, do some obedience, get some behaviors, pay them with the toy. We're huge into the toy. Um, so pay them, work your outs, pay them, you know, do, do a few things off to the side, hold on to the leash so the dog doesn't see somebody else's toy and get excited and want to take that one. So um, right from there, then we break down and we do a basic skills. So I will have, and, and a lot of times I use an area where the decoy can remove himself from the situation. So I'm a big believer in perfect practice makes perfect. So we do open field call-offs, but that's not, um, that's more the rarity than the, than the rule. So we will set it up so um, dogs always have e-collars. We already have the proper foundation of the e-collar. They get that in the basic handler course. We're all working the e-collar for the first three weeks and overlaying the, the e-collar for all the commands. And then we set it up so they do a call off and an out. Um, maybe not in that order. So if they're anticipating a call off, give them a bite, get a verbal out. So I, we, we check those boxes, right? So for the first hour, we've got basic obedience. We've got call offs and we got outs. And while they're setting up the, 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 that, those fundamentals, then we're also setting up usually two searches. And so I'll have an outdoor search or an indoor search. We'll, we'll, we'll do those things. Um, a lot of times we'll have detection going on at the same time. Again, and, I, 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 and, and you guys can, can vouch for me on this. Like I can't just tell a handler like, here, go set up dope and run the dope because um, I think there needs to be a trainer there working with these guys, especially if they're just like a year or two out of the basic handler course, because you know, the bad habits will start arising and um, you know, just working the nuances of the dog and, and somebody watching the handler making sure that, you know, they're doing the proper things in, the, in their, um, the way they're working the dog. So we'll have detection running and then we'll have a, an area search building search running. And then um, so usually by lunch, you know, I shoot to have, we've had four things done. We've run our detection and sometimes we'll do uh, an all in one, right? And I like when the guys go from, hey, you're gonna go right from the building search and then run over there and do detection and transition that dog, transition his mindset 
you know, you just did a building search over here. Now go over in this room, which is in the same building and work detection. So really having the facilities is key here that we have to have a big enough area, you know, or we'll have a traffic stop set up. Hey, you know, uh, deploy into the vehicle, put your dog back in the car, take them up, do a skills transition, now do detection, you know? And so you can, you can kind of check the boxes, so to speak, and still get quality training by doing that. Um, then we would typically eat, which, um, I usually don't go anywhere to eat. Uh, I, a lot of times, some of the guys will break them in, in, in groups and then our guys will sit there, have a sandwich, and then I'm already getting stuff set up. So when they come back, we just go right into it. Um, Cause I hate, I, I hate when we go, all right, hey, let's go get something to eat. We drive somewhere, we eat, <laughs> you know, nah, we come back. Nah, we it's sit two there. hours. It's two hours. Yeah, right smack <laughs> in the middle of the day. It's two hours, you can't do it. So, um, so generally, you know, our guys will always pack or somebody will bring food back. And then I like to do a, a long search and we always do a, a reality based training exercise in which now they have to, for sure, I, training, I like them all in their, all their gear because just having, um, for example, I, I always say next to your gun, your e-collar is your next most important tool that you're going to have to go to quickly. And so if you haven't developed that muscle memory where you're going right to your e-collar without looking and being able to manipulate it and know what level you're on um, without taking your eyes off of your dog or what's going on downrange, um, you have to have those skills, right? Because you don't have time to stop and look down and then things change. And so in order to develop that muscle memory, it's got to be on your uniform where you typically keep it. So generally throughout the training, I like our guys to, to wear their stuff. But especially when we get into the reality-based training, it's not even an option. Like you're not going to show up in a t-shirt um, and BDU pants and your e-collar in your freaking yeah. pocket. You know, it drives me nuts. And so, um, so I we have blue guns, uh, the Glock blue guns that actually, um, you know, they 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 will chamber uh, blanks. And so um, we'll set up a, a, a scenario and. During that scenario, I mean, it could be um, it could be de-escalation, it could be tactical repositioning. It's not always a bite, um, decision making, um, you know. And I'll give you an example. So, and again, it doesn't have to be a long one. So, like the last training we had a school, so our outdoor search ended in um, have a decoy behind the fence with a prosthetic leg sticking out. I got Phil in the hallway working, um, you know, basic skill stuff, and then I'll be running dope. And then as soon as they're done that, then we go and we do the reality-based scenario, which is a search into a library. Dog goes on the bike, decoy doesn't make a sound. Um, and I did a, a podcast with Vince Bingaman and he had a, a shooting on, uh, and my own personal experiences with that, where like dog goes on the bike, there's no screams. That should tell you something right away. Like, okay, what's going on here with this guy, right? Like mm -hmm. that, should give, that should make your hair on your neck stand up when you got that, that guy. You go around Zombies. the corner. Yeah. And you go yeah. around the corner and dude's got a gun to his own head and the dog's biting him. What are we doing? And then mm -hmm. I will put pressure on the handler. What are we doing? What are we doing? Make a decision. Well, I would no. Don't tell me do it. Right. And then they have to react and whatever they do. And, and, and like, when we run that scenario, I don't tell them you engage or shoot or pull out. Like you make those decisions. We'll talk about it afterwards. I can tell you what the wrong decision is. And that's to stand in the open telling them drop the gun. <laughs> Drop the gun, drop the gun, drop. And then, you know, this is what, ha what helps when you have a professional decoy, because then Phil knows, hey, on the third drop the gun, we're go uh, he 
comes off his head and, and starts engaging the, the, uh, the handler. And then they soon learn, it's like if they should know going into it, that you can't react to his actions, right? You get that second and a half delay. He's going to get off two rounds before you can get off a round. So, and then we debrief it. Like, well, what'd you do? Well, I, I stood in the open. Okay, that was wrong. So, and, and I'll just tell him, I'll say, hey, you have two choices. You engage or you pull all the way back because who's, who's number one there? You are as the handler. You need to pull out and then you verbally recall your dog. And then that becomes a, a test of, can, do you have the control to verbally recall your dog from a, around a corner? And then if, if there's an issue with that, okay, now we break that down and let's work this real quick. And then, you know, we push forward, but we always try to do uh, some type of reality-based training, every single training. Um, so it, at the end of the day, if we get six or seven things in, in an eight hour period um, that are, that are worthwhile, right. Um, then that's kind of what I'm shooting for. Um, you know, and, and it's, um, yeah, it's sometimes it's a grind. Usually at the end of the day, we're all just freaking beat and we're getting in a car and we're tired. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's fucking, it's a blast. And I, yeah. I feel, I truly feel like I'm, I'm blessed. Like I get done. I'm like, I'm exhausted, but that was a fun day. And fuck, man, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to be able to do this for, for a living at this point. So Ted, do not let any of the guys that are in your handler school listen to this episode because I saw a giant light bulb pop over your head when he told that we turn the corner of the dogs on the guy and he's got the gun to his head. Cause I've done a ton where you come around the corner, you have the dog, the guy has the gun or the knife. What do you do? I haven't done it like that with the dog on it. And then the guy's suicidal. So, um, mm -hmm. I think we have some fun here with some people. Yeah, It gets guys all and, spun up. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and anytime I can get a dog into a situation where you watch the guy panic cause his dog's there or rescue his dog. And of course and leave it's never in the dog. This panic, like it's never right. in the dog. It's never the dog that's panicking. Like he's like, yo, this is like normal. Like he's, it's never the dog that panics rarely. Well, he's at least in fun. my group, it's never the dog that panics. It's always a fucking handler. And they're like, Oh, what the fuck do I do? And you're like, yeah, gotta do something, homie. So we, when we've had large training groups, we do a similar thing that I've done. I've had success where, um, instead of trying to do a bunch of stuff, I'll have like specific nights, like this night we're doing whatever detection work. We're doing tracking. We're focusing on a specific skill set, and it helps. I kind of like weed some guys out or not necessarily weed them out, but if they're like, I don't need to work on that then. Cause like on a night, like on a, a day that you're describing, you have a single purpose handler show up. What the fuck are they going to do? Right. I mean, the second half of the yeah. day, like there's not a lot that they can do. So then we have to set up skills for that. So I have a lot of single purpose handlers in my area that are part of our training group that are, you know, narcotics guys. So, you know, I set up nights where I'm like, this is what we're doing tonight and sure. or this is what we're doing today and they'll show up and because they're like this is what i need to work on or this is what i or a lot of times i'll tell them like this is what i'm doing tonight and you need to work on this motherfucker so like i'll see you at this time and they're like yeah okay so we yeah. do that as well so then we have multiple like multiple things set up of like the same like relative skill whether it's tracking or detection work or drive capping or scenario based training or whatever the hell is going on in that night is all going on and everything. So when we have the scenario based nights for the dual purpose guys, it's a full on deal. Right. And then we have scenario nights for the single purpose handlers at the same night where we have a mock traffic stop, where we have people that are non-combative. It has nothing to do with the fucking dog stuff. 
Like it is people like it is other handlers that know how to answer questions like, Oh, can I get in the car? And you're like, no. So we really, really, really push them on building reasonable suspicion during their questions and are super combative and super all these. And then we have guys that are like super like nonchalant about it. And we have like precursors in the car that should build reasonable suspicion. And people are like, oh, I'm taking my kid to soccer practice. What's going on? And handlers miss shit. And I tell them, I, we warn them ahead of time. We're like, yo, this is what's going on. So like pay the fuck attention. Like, and you know, and inevitably people fuck it up. They miss this, they miss that. And so, um, and it depends on the it depends on the makeup of the group. Like if I have a lot of people coming one night that are this or that, like dual purpose or single purpose, so I haven't even mixed, then we'll switch things up. But yeah, and then muzzle work. Um, I'm actually doing a seminar for a sheriff's department, an integration seminar with patrol. And um, the dogs that are there, the handlers are squared away. They know what they're doing. The patrol doesn't necessarily know. And it's going to be fun. Nice. <laughs> so <laughs> it'll be one of those deals that's like, and it is one of those like managing expectations things. And so for that matter, like how often do you have any of your handlers that are FTOs and, or if they are, do they bring the new guys with them? And how often do you have new guys show up and they're like, yo, I, I'm just became a cop a year ago and I want to be a canine handler. So I'm here to figure stuff out. Yeah, we have a few agencies that bring those guys out, and um, we actually, like in Elk Grove, we, we, I, I've got a whole PowerPoint, and I, I don't know how to get it to your listeners, but I, I'd be happy to share it with anybody that wants to send a, a USB or something. It's too big of a, a file to send out, but we have a PowerPoint that we, we, we put together, you know, and, and like, it has the basic stuff, right? Like, don't be the most interesting thing in the search. You know, which means if you see the suspect, <laughs> don't start freaking yelling because bad things are going to happen if the dog yeah. doesn't have target lock. And so, matter of fact, that's a lot of what we say. Like, hey, if you get nothing out of today, just remember, don't be the most interesting thing in the search. And um, we're big on uh, be a tree. Something, something, something that a lot of agencies are not teaching that we're bringing to the to the, the forefront of these agencies that that the canines bring it back is we are having the, the cover officers say front sight when they see the suspect. And I don't know if that's something that you guys did as well back, uh, but it's, you know, you're searching, cover officer sees the suspect, sees a, a foot hanging out, dog hasn't discovered him yet, and they just go front sight. And because the problem is, is if you get officers, cover officers yelling, all you new handlers out there, if your cover officers start yelling and your dog doesn't have target lock, um, it's going to become a call-off situation, right? Because now your dog's targeting your cover. Um, you've created an exigency. Everything falls apart. You don't have a plan. Everybody starts yelling, and it becomes a real problem. Whereas if they just go front sight and they're looking at the suspect with their with their gun, now we can pull back. We can have a coordinated effort. We can have the dog continue to search. If I already made an announcement, maybe we give a, a you know another opportunity for peaceful surrender. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it, again, and it goes to what you're talking about, Ted, is, is basically training your cover officers. It's essential. Um, and you need to be doing briefing training and make sure they understand how the dog searches. And um, when guys come out of the handler class, I always tell a new handler, hey, go back to your agency. Tell them we've done everything. We've shown them the prosthetic. We've done hidden sleeve. We've done muzzle. The dog should bite. Um, but we're going to prepare that he doesn't bite. And until he bites somebody then do not count on it and take that pressure off of yourself, right? So if you have to go out there, your dog has an issue, he stumbles, he doesn't have a great first engagement. Okay, then you've already warned everybody what was gonna happen. 
but back to the back to the muzzle, Ted, like you mentioned, um, if you're if you guys are training with SWAT, um, man, why not have a muzzle on? Because it's a great training day until a SWAT guy freaking gets grabbed by the arm. And then your lieutenant's like, well, what the, what the hell were you guys doing out there? Why are guys, so pro guys t- getting bit? Pro tip, they, they also super like it when you send the dog in from number four on the stack and it drapes over their fucking drop holster and yanks them into the room. Yeah, yeah they it was a super <laughs> like, they, that That's super fucking, they love that. They'll ask you back the next day for that. 100% bet that. So when I yell at, when I yell at fucking SWAT handlers, I'm like, you're not a cowboy, but you're fucking leashed down. Make sure it's on the ground and make sure it's on the outside of the stack. Make sure we're not doing anything fucking stupid because if he yanks in one of those guys into the room, nah, you're done. Uh, so you mentioned something and I, I joke because everyone always like new handlers first day. They're like, what's this bike command? I'm like, show me your hands. And they look at me and I'm like, yeah, you'll figure it out. Just don't worry about it right now. And when we track, so when we do proximity alerts, we mark, um, proximity alerts or you know you say the front side thing and a lot of our guys integrate with other agencies either for calls for service or because it's a multi-agency like search on something a building a person whatever like a track so we've got an unknown number of agencies there and they may not all be briefed in they may not all have a fucking dog but they're all looking for the same guy everybody knows who they're looking for and inevitably if they see some the if they see him before the dog does the first thing out of their mouth is going to be not front side. I don't give a shit what you tell them. And they're going to say, show me your fucking, show me your hands. Show, suspect. Show, hey, show me. I see you. Show me your hands. And we do that on tracks. We do it on proximity alerts and we do it in building searches to the point where by the time the dogs are done with handler schools, their bike command is show me your hands. And they turn and they look and they're like, what did I miss? And they've seen it. So they've heard it so many times by the time they hear like, hey, show me your hands. They turn and look and where we're all looking and they'll redirect in that direction. And I teach my handlers from the get-go. This is how we alert people to and other guys in our search party of where we have somebody hiding. If somebody sees something, just tell them, show me your hands. Dog will alert 100% and we'll redirect to where we're looking, not on backup guys. Uh, And then we start giving commands from that point. And we then take cover. We do everything we needed to do to take cover and concealment. And we make a plan to deploy the dog from cover concealment should that happen or whatever it is. And then at that point, I train the handlers like you're not the one making commands like you're running the dog. You don't need to be running announcements. Somebody else can do it. But, yeah, I mean, that's a big deal and it's a big thing. And in you're right in the cover deal, right, like describing what their job is to non canine people. They're like, oh, they're just here to fuck people up. And you're like, nah, nah, hold on. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, 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 no. And they're not there to eat bullets either. Like, we're not doing that either. So, um, well, and, and just remember, like, the, the suspect is going to be the most violent when he realizes he's been found. So, yeah. Um, you know, that's where, um, and I, I, I'll go back to Vince Bingaman. I'll give him full credit for this. He trained his guys to go, I guess he's not here. Oh. And when, when his guys said that, then they knew wherever the gun was pointed. That's where the suspect was. And then the suspect's going, uh, he's going, oh, fuck. Thank God they, they didn't find me, right? That's clever. And it was right then when the dog goes in, grabs him, he tells a story that the dog's pulling the guy out of the bushes going, I'm not here, I'm not here, I'm not here. Because like mentally, he was like so <laughs> decompressed thinking that they, 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 he had gotten away with it, right? And yeah, so, he's 100% right. You're right, I'm yeah. not here. 
but it's like at the same time it's like well shit like that that's pretty that takes pretty good discipline on the part of your cover officers right like it's like that's uh that's almost yeah. almost next level and a lot of our guys don't have that luxury but again hey as handlers out there see if you can pick your cover like that's where it's at and don't be afraid to be like um you're going on perimeter you're going on perimeter and i'll take you two with me um because you might hurt some feelings, but at the end of the day, um, you know, you're, you, when, once you, you accidentally bite a couple cover officers because they were running in front of you and yelling, um, soon after that, you really don't care about uh, hurting feelings. Um, so, uh, no, yeah, that, right. Those count, by the way. <laughs> yeah, those Stats. count. If you Stats. bite cop, the, yeah, but those count. Yeah. They got in the yeah. way. Mark yeah. it in there. Um, so, worth, worthless handler has the sticker. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so nice stamp perimeter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they got so much good stuff Shout out to yeah dude. i um 400 yeah. so at the size of your training group are you still once a week on the maintenance training i know you have a lot of handler schools going on but on maintenance training you once a week or do you break it up so um we're training four days a week so i'm training monday through mm -hmm. thursday and so um and i'm training each dog gets 16 hours so they do two eight hour days so um, generally, our, our so our classes, Eric, are, are probably. I mean, we'll have anywhere from ten. I think the largest group might have twenty. Um, and then I'm bringing uh, an assistant trainer with me. I've got Phil with me. And if I think it's going to be a big class, like right now we have a handler class of another five dogs. Um, I try to have two or three of us out there, plus uh, you know, plus a decoy. So we really try to break it up because, man, I'm, I'm, I'm cognizant of it, too. I hate freaking downtime and it plagues yeah. our industry. And you're going to have to go to court and, and, you know, some of these guys turn in their training records. And it's like if you only have like I got my dog out twice, you know, in eight hours or whatever. It's like that ain't good um, because then they're going to say, well, are you really getting, you know, in, in California recommending 16 hours of maintenance training? Are you really getting 16 hours when your dog was out twice? You know, and, um, you know, that that becomes an issue. So, um, yeah, so we, we break it up. So that, that's where the, the training comes in. So we're, I'm, I'm doing maybe 40 hours a week, 45 hours a week. And then when we have a hammer class, we add on an extra day. So, yeah. um, going maybe 50, 55 hours, but we, we, we break it up. Right. So it's, it's, it's manageable. So, um, yeah, not, not a lot of people of know, understand that. Like the, the, the Boston group, like we were talking is so big that every single day of the week or of the month, Monday through Friday, there's a training, a maintenance training somewhere in that group. And they put out a calendar and you decide, what do you want to work on? Where do you go? They have agencies got to host it. The trainers bounce around from one to the next and the guys can, you know, fill in their, their schedule and stuff. We were just on Wednesdays and that was it. Wednesdays, uh, group A, group B, maybe you couldn't make that one. You hop over to that one, different things like that. How do you, um, in, so you, you have a pretty set, formula for each one of your training days how do you mm -hmm. particularly deal with then when the handler comes in and says hey um i had a failure or he's just not really he doesn't seem all that motivated to do the sniff the cars or some some sort of problem that you have to sure. deal with how do you fit, fit that in sure um well then basically i mean if it's if it's a if it's a specific problem they're having, then I want to be involved with it. I want to tinker with it. Um, although there's value in having several sets of eyes, right? So like I'll, if, if I'm there and, you know, I'll have Rich there, man, I really encourage in, in a dialogue amongst us trainers and even um, like seasoned handlers. If they have input, then then I want to hear, you know, DTAC, it's not Greg Tawny. 
you know, it's Greg Tawney, it's Phil Ryder, it's Rich Hartman, it's Chris Oliver, Jason Miller, Hector Villarreal. Like, it is a group think, and I promote that. It is not about ego when we're out there training, and it, it's not, this is Greg's way, and this is how we do it. And I even say that in the basic handler course. I say, hey, guys, um, I put a lot of thought into why we do everything, and there's reasons for it, but if you we have a differing opinion and you want to bring up a different opinion, I welcome it because who knows, maybe you come up with something I hadn't thought of, or there's another technique that I haven't thought of, which I want to talk, talk about with, with, with you, Eric, is that friggin' e-collar, uh, tone avoidance yes. and tone recall. It's, it's friggin' blown my mind <laughs> the mm. last month. Um, and then also incorporating the other thing we were doing now is double markers, which I hadn't really done, which is kind of a game changer that we're, we're implementing too, which is why I, I love freaking dog training. Cause here, I've been doing it for 30 years and I've just added two brand new things into our, our group. And that's what, what fuels me. Um, but as far as the problem solving, you know, we, and you know what, the group is supportive of that. Like, so somebody goes out there, new dog has a failure or whatever, like people completely understand, Hey, we're going to do our group obedience. We're going to do our basic skills. Um, you know, we'll have a trainer running detection over there. And then there's going to be a group of us roundtabling getting, you know, and that's, I, I didn't mention this in the beginning, but we always do a, a debrief with the group, which, you know, let's learn from others' mistakes. Let's have that vulnerability. Let's be able to, you know, take our, our egos down a notch. And if there's an issue, then, then let's, let's talk about it. Or if you screwed up, like I, I try to encourage that, like, let's, let's take ownership of it. And, um, you know, you're, you're volunteering that information and putting it out there so everybody can learn. Cause if you made that mistake, then chances are somebody else is going to make the same mistake. So, um, then we will, uh, like if it's a non-engagement issue, then, um, you know, get the specifics exactly what happened. What were you doing? Do we have a handler issue where now he's like through the roof, the dog was confused, the dog didn't have target lock, or was he overwhelmed? Okay, is this something where we need to push in? And that's the thing is the seasoned handlers here, they can be a part of training, right? Like if we're running a search, and especially I like to run the new dog first, you run your search, you run your scenario, guess what? You're going to be cover for the next guy. He's, he usually runs with two or three cover. You're going to watch every other handler go through this, and they're, you're going to watch how they handle it. You know, and, and these new guys can learn so much just by watching the season handlers. So I don't want guys sitting in the car, you know, and then so that's, you know, we will make everybody in the group be a part of whatever the scenario is. And and generally they're excited about it, especially if you guys aren't running reality based stuff, you will see like guys get really excited about it because it's fun. And then they're like, well, I want to see what the next guy does. I want to see how he handles this. You know, and I found honestly that handlers are probably their own worst critics because they get so hard on themselves. And so we preach that, hey, you got to come into this with a vulnerability, you know, and then I also preach, hey, if somebody screws up this and you're watching, you know, this shit stays within our training group. Like he should not hear from somebody on his shift about how he, you know, instead of, you know, and this is something I'll do too with, with, uh, uh, with the blue guns, you can do this. So I'll give them a blue gun with two rounds in it two rounds in each magazine. And when they run dry, now they got to do a, a mag change right in the middle of everything. Right. So they got the guy, the gun on his head, he goes to shoot, they go to engage and then they run dry. And it's like, you better get that thing in order. And so they're not, they're changing magazines. And I've had guys that actually like grab, you know, not a magazine. They grab their flashlight and they're trying to put it in their gun. Right. Because they're freaking through the roof. And it's like, those are the mistakes I want these guys making the training. Cause I don't want them to make it on the street. And so, if they do make these mistakes and anybody watches, they better not hear that from somebody else within the agency because it's like these guys are 
you know, it, it takes a lot of courage, right, to put yourself out there and look like look like an idiot during these scenarios. And because you're showing that vulnerability, it stays within the group. And guess what? That, then that breeds like a team, you know, unity and like a group, uh, you know, much more tight group, which 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 canine needs to be. Right. So um, what off on a tangent there. So no, but, but so anyway. Yeah. So anyway, what you're saying is, yeah, so I, we'll bring in season handlers and we'll watch. And then if somebody comes up with like, hey, have you tried this? And sometimes, man, it's like, but why didn't I think of that? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like so it's it's uh, I feel like we're stronger. We're, we've got more input. There's not just one guy trying to work all this out. And then, um, you know, it just makes for, for better training, because at the end of the day, it's about it's about going home safe. This is this is a serious freaking job. I take it serious. Um, and if I got a team out there that I, I don't, I feel subpar, like that bothers me. Like, um, just the other day I heard they're like, Hey, so-and-so's out on a shooting, you know, they're searching with them, you know, with their dog. And I'm like, Oh crap. Like, you know, how's that dog been performing? How's the handler been performing? Ah, the yeah. handler's been struggling, you know, whatever. And it's like, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's not points, right. It's, it's, uh, it's life and death with a lot of this stuff. So, um, yeah, so it's uh, I feel that pressure, right? So that's what right. fuels me when we're training. It's like, yeah, we're not sitting around smoking and joking. Like, you know, tomorrow you guys could get the freaking call and you're going to be on the front line. You know, and I, I know I'm preaching to the choir with you guys and a lot of your listeners, but canine is the front line out there. You know, I mean, SWAT gets a lot of the goodies. And, but if you look at who's going to be involved in the in, with uh, doing the most work and, and confronting the, uh, the one percenters, it's, it's, it's canine and it's the handlers. I say that a lot and I tell administrators so like where you're at and not necessarily where you're at but in california like you're a a lot of those large agencies and a lot of those municipalities are not resource poor um you know so those like we had daryl gone on and daryl's fucking the man from la county right and he'll tell you he was like bro we had everything we wanted we had helicopters we had boats we had fucking we had mpc we had everything we ever wanted and ever needed and they got to focus exclusively on that. <clears throat> and, you know, Gooseby will tell you the same thing. He's super, he's super lucky to be at LAPD. He's super lucky to have the resources that he has. And the, the way that they solve those problems over there is through, it's a resource question, right? Um, the same count, the same crimes that get committed there get committed in Omaha, Nebraska, or, you know, close to it or in Canton, Ohio or in Tulsa. And they don't have necessarily the same resources available, but they still have to apprehend those people. And universally, and I say this all the time, and I say it to SWAT guys when they start asking about dogs. I'm like, when was the last time you guys shot somebody on SWAT? Or Eric, when was the last time you guys shot somebody on SWAT? It's been or, a bit. I'm sorry, had to use yeah. force. Yeah. Like, well, necessarily shot. Like, that's not like the gold standard. Like, that's not what I want to say. But, I mean, it's been a bit, right? And most of the time when SWAT gets called out, there's a pretty high probability that it's going to end peacefully, right? Like somebody's going to get gassed out or they're going to get apprehended without getting, without lethal force being used with canine. Every time a dual purpose dog gets out of the fucking car, there is a very high chance that that dog is going to be put in a, the handler, the team is going to be put in a, in a high probability of a high amount of force being used. And it happens every single shift it happens all the time and especially in municipalities where they have a lot of resources where the threshold for a SWAT call is fairly high they're like fuck we're not calling out for that fuck all that you know and they'll do like the small reaction teams or whatever or in small agencies where you've got a county that has 30 deputies and they have two dogs 
and they have a barricaded suspect call or they have a call that's like, yo, we need this here. And if they have a multi-jurisdictional SWAT team, it takes six, eight hours to get, you know, everybody spun up in there and canines there and they're going to have to deal with it. And so I think a majority of the country falls into that vein where they rely on the dogs and they rely on handlers and they rely on canine teams to kind of bridge that gap. And routinely they're the ones that are constantly questioned about funding. Nobody ever questions SWAT teams when they want new suppressors. They're like, sure, you need a half a million for new surefires. No problem. Whatever. Here's 500 grand. No big deal. You want 30 bucks for a leash? You can go fuck yourself. Go buy it. <laughs> go use your old belt. You'll be fine. It'll be all right. But they expect your ass to show up on the next call and not make a mistake. That's exactly what happens. And that's oh, bullshit. Yeah. yeah. There's no, so, like you said, there's no SWAT t shirt sales. Uh, no, you know, there's not. There, I haven't seen a single SWAT team selling t shirts to buy suppressors. No. <laughs> so <laughs> I had one saying. more, I had one more question before our next break, but you kind of answered it. In, in a way and my question was how do you motivate the the turds how do you get the the guy who's just kind of there for the car and the and the one hour off a day extra and for me for me it was culture the culture of the training group when i when i took over we had a lot of guys that were uh half-assing it uh managed to run uh, most of them out, but, and we changed the culture and the environment of the training. It still is not a hundred percent. There's still, I, I, I don't know about you. Um, I have only ever been asked when I was the head trainer and training all those other places to sit on, on one department's interview process for their handlers. I know Ted's done it a couple of times, but we end up getting who we get. And um, mm -hmm. how, what's your way, what's your system of motivating those guys? Hmm. You know, that's a good question. And, and, I'm with you in trying to develop that culture. And I usually, when we take over, if, if we get them from the handler class, we usually have a pretty good, um, a good working relationship because I lay it out up front and they're brand new. Right. So I come in there and I'm like, Hey, no sitting in your cars. You got to keep busy. You know, if we're working something, you can be working vehicle retention. You can be working, you know, your obedience, you can be laying your, your tracks over here. And so they kind of get that from the get-go and um, our handler classes have a, a, a pretty good pace. So, um, but sometimes we've inherited agencies, right? Like it's like, we're going to take over a contract and the culture has been just like what you're talking about. And man, that is freaking hard. You know, I, I, I really think doing the reality-based stuff and bringing them in, but you'll see guys that are very insecure and they don't, or they, they half-ass it. Like they're like, oh, okay, you know, and they're like, limp arm in it like they're going to engage the guy and they're like oh you know and it's just like it's just insecurity is what it is um generally with them but it's it's eric i think you hit the nail on the head it's it's kind of just developing that culture um you know trying to um show the dogs show the, their weaknesses because like in the beginning they start getting they start joking around like oh here's another scenario where we're going to get you know, we're going to get shot in the back or something, right? Because I will put it like something simple, put a decoy in a hard corner, bait the dog long. And if they're not clearing those hard corners when they're going in, then um, I like a blank gun to go off because that really sticks with them. And I've had handlers go, man, I just remember seeing that muzzle flash and like that's freaking stuck with me. And I'm like, good, right? Because that's, it, it should, because you're, you're sloppy in your tactics and it's it's not their fault. It's just sometimes that was the, the culture within their training group. And so 
Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we are not their boss. Um, however, everybody in the unit knows who takes it seriously and everybody knows who's phoning it in. And, um, you know, for that, it's like staying in touch with admin, but, you know, at the same time, you know, I, there are certain agencies, I couldn't tell you who the sergeant is. I haven't seen them. You know, they're just willing yeah. to go, yep, Greg, here's everything. Uh, we trust you. And it's like, okay, you're going to trust an outside entity, you know, with all the liability within your agency, but there is a failure to supervise, you know, issue that can come up. And I heard you guys talking about it with Gene Ramirez. And it's like, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go hunt sergeants down to come out to training. You know, either they care or they don't. And so I've seen it's a top down. Um, the agencies that have sergeants, this is for you supervisors out there, man. The agencies that have sergeants that go out to training and walk along and just don't go out and sit on your phone and hang out with the guys in the group, but like go to the scenario, the, the reality-based stuff and walk along with them when we're on a search and watch their handler and watch the dog. Like you don't have to be an expert in dogs to know who's performing and who's not. And then it really is up to them to light that fire under their ass. And at the end of the day, I, I even tell them like, like if you guys don't care enough about it, um, I got 75 handlers. I'm not going to stay awake at night because you don't care. So either you can make the most of this time and you can better yourself or you can sit in your car and you can not show up to training and find every other reason not to show up and find everything else that's important other than train. But at the end of the day, it's you that's getting your dog out and going to that call, not me. And so that's how I keep my sanity, Eric, because otherwise, um, you know, the turds, uh, we'll call it like it is, <laughs> that just mm -hmm. don't care. Well, if you don't care enough, I can't make you care. Um, then I, I, I let that go. I can't, I can't hold that in. You know, I want to help the guys that want to be helped because we have those guys that are freaking walking along and they want extra help and they want to come to extra trainings. I'm all in and I'll, I'll go all in with you. And, um, but if you don't care, then that's on you, brother. One of, uh, one of my handlers and somebody that I consider a friend and also a mentor, and I guess a peer in some respects, who's been on the podcast, uh, runs a large training group kind of close to here. And uh, one of the things that he's constantly yelling at people is everyone gets the dog they deserve. Ah, I use that. I love that saying. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, every time he says it, like I look around and I'm like, uh, <laughs> who's, who's he talking to? Yeah. Uh, so, and uh, he's, uh, he's one of those guys. He's another one that he's been on the podcast. It's Anthony. It's Anthony. Mm -hmm. Moore. He's been on the podcast before. He's a fucking fantastic trainer. Fantastic handler. Uh, and has a new dog from us, but he's, uh, he's runs a large training group that he doesn't have a lot of tolerance for horse shit. And, uh, he deals with it in the Anthony way, um, which is patented, uh, yeah. I guess trademarked. I don't know about patent, but it's probably trademarked, but, uh, yeah. And, you know, and I, and I don't disagree with it a hundred percent. I mean, you were saying it and, um, another agency kind of came to me and they said, you know, we have a dog. It's kind of, eh whatever. And they said, and the handler also kind of, eh. I'm like, well, we can't fix that. Like, I'm not here to like give pep talks to guys that I don't train or don't train with. And like, it's a fundamental problem with handler selection at that point. Like, and there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, I can talk to them. Um, I fired people from handler schools. They've been through handler schools mm -hmm. and I've been like, you know, there's a hundred other jobs in law enforcement. You should probably do one of those. This is probably not. And, and universally those people are either voluntold to be a canine handler or 
they're just there to like eric said get the go home car get the extra hour a day and play fuck off and you know leave at noon to go pick up their quote-unquote kids from school or whatever they're doing during a training day and i can't i i can't motivate i don't have time to fuck with those people and like my passion is people that want to be there like you know greg like you were saying and if you want to be there like i'm all about it but i'm not gonna fucking chase your ass down and tell you like this is what you need to do and this is why you need to do it and uh, we call those 30 mile an hour handlers. So like, yeah, set hundred mile an hour dog. I can't, yeah, I can't get a hundred <laughs> mile an hour dog to a 30 mile an hour handler. Yeah. And I've given some hundred mile an hour dogs to some hundred mile an hour handlers. And that shit is fucking fantastic. Them boys mm-hmm. are professional, fast, good, safe. They mm-hmm. do a great job and they're there about it. And I, I love it. Right. And I've also given 30 mile an hour dogs to 30 mile an hour handlers and they find a lot of drugs and that's what they do. That's pretty, funny. which is cool. Yeah, I mean, which is fine. I mean, that's good. But I mean, <laughs> my biggest downfall as a trainer is that, and this comes from my the culture of myself, I guess, is um, and being a patrolman the whole time is I can't tell on a guy. I won't tell on him. Mm-hmm. And so if he fucks up when his chief comes and they're like, "How's it going?" I just sit there and I'm like, "It's fine. We're good. We'll get through." You know, I, I can't. And so I've put a couple guys out that had it probably shouldn't have been. And I, I can admit that um, also because I really care, like really, really, really care. Like it gets taken advantage of. And um, I have saved people's careers, saved their careers, not their canine career, their careers and and help them cover things up. Not like criminal stuff, but like administrative things, dumb fucking stuff that these guys have done. They all seem to forget that I did that for them. A lot of them do. And um, I, there's a lot of guys that in my group that wouldn't be in training if I didn't, if I just had said something. And it's because I, I can't do it, man. I, I can't. So, so what I do is I go the extra mile to try to get these guys through class, um, which then makes me focus on the certification part instead of, you know, actually doing canine work, which is, is a mistake. But, um, so that is da- definitely one of the down, my downfalls, uh, of failure on my part, but we're going to go ahead and take a, our last commercial break. Um, we come back, we're going to talk about, um, evolving and changing and, and things like mm-hmm. that, which Ted and I talk about all the time is one of the biggest downfalls of all law enforcement, not, not just canine, but uh, just stick around guys. We'll be right back. All right. We love the Perkinsons down in uh, North Carolina at Highland canine training. They are great people, great trainers. They got a good business model. They're awesome folks. We've been with them for a long time. Uh, they're also super smart and they understand that a lot of agencies are struggling to have manpower. So they're not sending people away for training. You guys have been there. You know, you put in denied lack of manpower. So they've created an online course section of their website, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. You get on there under training the online course. But here's the best thing is they offer a supervisor, canine supervisor course which we know a lot of uh, police canine supervisors don't get to go to training. They don't know as much as they should right here online. uh, The course discusses topics such as proper selection of dogs and handlers, proper deployment, effective allocation and utilization, as well as liability and the FLSA issues, which we know is where all the legal stuff comes from interdepartmental. Uh, The course can be taken at your convenience and you will receive a certificate of completion at the end. 
Uh, they're offering an amazing discount, guys. 30% off using the discount code WDR30. It's a no-brainer. If you're a police supervisor and you guys have manpower issues and you can't go, get on tacticalpolicek9training.com under the training tab. Get on that supervisor's course, man. I'm telling you, it's a smart decision. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break for just a second and talk about Dogtra, one of our favorite sponsors. Uh, Dogtra's been committed for over 20 years to crafting dog training e-collars to perfect and precise fit and finish, intuitive design, and accountable performance. The Dogtra 1900S e-collar is one of my favorites, and it demonstrates what they strive for, an ultimate dog training tool that is durable, dependable, and designed for the most demanding conditions, which I can attest to because I tear stuff up frequently. My favorite is the 1900S Black and the 1900S Hands-Free, which I use all the time. Check it out at Dogtra.com. Be sure to use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off any single item over 200 bucks. That includes the 1900 and the 1900 Black. It's no secret that we love Ray Allen K9 equipment. We use their products every single day. The mission statement says it all. To be a world leader in quality and innovative innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport to exceed our customers' expectations and deliver on time every time at a fair price. We fullheartedly believe they've held to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything canine. Not everything canine alone, guys, dogs in general. If you train dogs, if you have a dog, everything you need for dog or canine Check out Ray Allen Canine Manufacturing, rayallencanine.com. Use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off. Super excited to have American Aluminum Accessories on board with us here at the podcast. These guys manufacture a wide variety of products from high-quality cam locker toolboxes to an extensive line of products designed to meet the ever-changing needs of law, the law enforcement community. Around 1992, due to the demand for safe and secure transport for a local law enforcement agency's canine unit, they introduced the very first in-vehicle Easy Rider canine container. So it was basically what we now call just our inserts. They have continuously grown and expanded uh, the products, catering to the needs and the wants of their valued customers and high-profile clientele, and catering specifically to law enforcement. Over the years, as the needs have changed for law enforcement, they've evolved and expanded the products to include inmate transport systems, the canine training aids, which I use quite a bit of, canine inserts, most of, every one of my guys has one of those things. And you know, you if you're not even have to be in law enforcement, I have several friends that are civilians that work, lots of dogs that have the inserts put into their cars too. So if you got one that fits, you can do it. Uh, they also do contraband and animal control systems, just to name a few. So be sure to hit them up. The website is Easy Rider Online. So that's the letter E, the letter Z, as in zebra, rideronline.com. If you're looking for them on Instagram and Facebook, it's American Aluminum Accessories. Feel free to hit them up there too. So our first and oldest sponsor that's been with us from the beginning is Arno out, out at ALM, uh, out there in, in Las Vegas area. Arno is a great dude. He makes great stuff for, for police work and sport work, suits, tugs. I'm telling you right now, his tugs are the best in the business. You can't get any better. Multiple colors. Uh, I, I buy boxes of them from him and give them out to everybody. Uh, I've got a bite suit from him. Love it. I've had it for a little over three years, and it's holding up like a champ. Um, Ted's got a suit that he's had forever from ALM. Uh, we wouldn't go anywhere else, man. We love it. Arno is such a good dude. 
His uh, ALMK9Equipment.com is the website. Get on there. He's got pre-made suits. He can do custom suits based on your measurements. Um, he's got stuff already already made up. If you kind of get a kind of generic large size, maybe for everybody, the colors he has, man, is really cool. He can put a lot of stuff on those suits. Uh, check him out, ALMK9Equipment.com, and use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off. You know, running a kennel is one of those things that I always worry about is cleanliness and safety of dogs. And it's, it seems like it's an ever changing issue being able to house dogs and move things around everything else. So the guys at horizon structure make this as easy as possible. Literally the only thing you have to do is have water and power hookups and they deliver it and you can put dogs in that day. And it comes built, comes on a trailer. They just drop it off. You plug it in, put dogs in it, and you're ready to rock. You keep them clean. You keep them safe. You keep them cool in the summer and warm in the wintertime. And it's completely custom. You can go complete mild to wild. I've seen some that were stainless steel all the way from top to bottom on the inside. And then I've seen some for a, a bulldog breeder that, you know, had smaller gates because those things can't jump. So if you reach out to them. Uh, they're sitting there waiting for you to call and help you through the custom design process. They have everything from two dog ones up to, uh, I want to say like 18 or 20. It's a lot of, you can put a lot of dogs, indoor, outdoor runs. So anything you've ever dreamed of, they've got it, or have done it or can do it. So they've taken all the guesswork out of building it. Everything is pre-done to your specifications and it's assembled, dropped off, boom, you're ready to rock. These things are amazing. Uh, Rigney has one. Uh, we've had him on the show a couple of times. Go check out his Instagram and you can see he's posted it up there before. Go look Horizon up at Horizon Structures, spelled out. Uh, on the internet, it's horizonstructures.com. And you're going to look for the link in there that says commercial dog kennels. Or give them a call, 888-447-4337. They'd love to talk to you and get you started on the way. All right, everybody. We are back. Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Ted Summers from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm Eric Stamber from Canton, Ohio. And with us from out in California, Elk Grove, is uh, Greg Tawney from DTAC K9 and co-host of uh, Police K9 Radio Podcast. Um, Rich Hartman is his um, co-host. So I, I, on a side, real quick, Greg, do you do jujitsu as well like, like I don't. Rich does? I don't. I feel left out. Like that's like what everybody's doing the whole, you know, with Joe Rogan. And I just had a couple crazy Australians out here. And uh, yeah, they're doing it too. Oh, those yeah. guys, Whew, man, the those origin guys. guys. Um, yeah, origin and yeah. Uh, strong life project. Uh, yeah, Sean and Tom, great guys. Like had a fucking blast. But yeah, same thing. Like they're they're in it in it out there. It's like sweeping the country. I don't know, man. I'm 56. I got a torn meniscus in my knee. Um, I, I I do work out every day, but like I'm kind of smart of how I do it, and I'm just so worried. And what I do if I get in there and get tweaked, like what you know it's so physical with the police dog aspect of it i'm like ah man i don't want to be hobbling around out there on on, on area searches yeah. and shit like yeah. that you don't like, start jujitsu with a mm. torn meniscus you you get yeah. torn meniscus you don't start <laughs> that way but my and yeah. my point is if you guys go out and visit rich or if rich comes and you get a chance to um roll with him he is uh no joke a bad motherfucker mm-hmm. and um so his co-host you know he's he's on there and you, you kind of think, you know, him from listening to him or seeing him on the podcast and listen to him talk about uh, training, but he's a, um, he's a purple belt and he's like rolling with a fucking gorilla. And yeah. he, he, sh- and I talked, I went out there to his gym with him and rolled with him a little bit. And he was very nice. He, he, 
he punished me, but uh, was very, very nice. Let me Didn't get out break of a your couple. Fucking arm. No, he get no. He put knee on belly, so he he put his knee up oh. like in my. Oh, super yeah, polite. I, your yeah, knees. man. And he let me get out of it. This I can't. I, he let me. He let me. Fucking rich. I'm not getting out. He's okay. he's fucking monster. And I talked is, to his instructor, dude. and he should be a brown belt. He just doesn't go consistently enough. He's no joke. Like he's legit, a strong, long-armed, big hand, technically mm-hmm. proficient monster to deal with. And uh, I love mm-hmm. him for it. I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't tussle with him. That's for sure. Fuck no, you're, man! You're it's braver, not you're a braver dude, than me man. getting on that mat. I'm not fucking around with him. Yeah, I'm stupid. That me. was the oldest person there for sure. <laughs> well, good for you, still doing it, dude. Yeah, yeah, I got beat up. He'll tell you story. I got my ass beat by a 105 pound uh, Asian girl. Like she's like 19. <laughs> Turns out she's hey, like you... uh, some. Yeah, she's like some wrestling champ or some shit. And so Those we go to roll. Ones. She's a white belt. I'm a white belt. <laughs> Yeah. We're the last. It's the last five minutes, and I said, "Hey, you want you want to roll? Well, I'm, I'll, I'll go slow. I'm not going to try to crush her. You know, I'm a hundred pounds heavier than her." And she was um, on you like a spider monkey, dude. It was like fighting a booger, <laughs> like like fucking immediately. She goes, she goes, yeah, I'll go, I'm going to go slow. So we we slap hands, bump fists. She does a blast double, like immediately a blast double leg takedown, like perfection. I'm I actually flew through the air. I just laughed my ass off. I landed. I'm like, this is slow. And then it was just four things touching me at all times, both feet, both hands all the time going around. And I would just get out of something. And next thing you know, over here, here, I'm like, God, you were wearing me out. And uh, I told him afterwards, cause he was rolling somewhere else. That girl just whooped my ass. He's fucking dying. He goes, yeah, dude, she just won like some wrestling tournament. She stayed wrestling the dudes at the next class. But anyways, um, fun. Yeah. Well, it sounds fun. like jujitsu is like dogs. It has a way of humbling you, right? Just oh, when you're yeah. starting to feel good about yourself, then you get that dog or you yeah. have that deployment. And jujitsu seems it's, it's, it's good for your ego, right? It's freaking I, 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 had, I had done okay for myself in that at that class, rolling with young college guys. I'd done good. I didn't get submitted. I submitted somebody. I got out of some stuff. I, I was doing good. And then um, the little girl just, just put it on me. It was great. <laughs> I, I, it was... It was a learning That's experience, awesome. but anyways, uh, always, so always be suspect of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> no, <laughs> jujitsu gyms, and they're like, they're like, you want to roll over that? Uh, yeah. Why are you asking? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> like, what? Like, who are you? Why? I need to get a. What? I need no. to get a drink. I'm just trying to tick time off that five minutes. But anyways, <laughs> so we talked about it. Uh, we talk about it a lot. We talk about it in our seminars and in our. Um, in our uh, conferences that we do and things like that. And um, you, you've been training dogs like 30 years, like you were saying. And what we see, of course, everywhere I, Ted and I both travel all over the country. It's the same thing all the time. We do what we've always done. Um, same consistent problems, the out, the recall and uh, off leash obedience is always a problem. It's they get every dog through the training. They get And I listen, this is, I'm describing myself too in the beginning. Um, we get them through, we do enough to get them through, but every doll, every class, same problems, same common denominator, which is the trainer, same problems. They don't fix. They don't evolve. Uh, so many of them don't watch social media. They don't listen to podcasts. They don't look and they don't learn and they don't go anywhere. And then their training is conflict based and it's all kinds of problem. 
But everything I see in talking to you, Rich, and, and watching you is that you're a sponge and then you seem to evolve a lot. Where has your training, what does it look like now versus, I don't know, even like 10 years ago? Yeah, well, there's a couple things I learned along the way. Number one, um, I no longer take dogs that are completely green into the basic handler course. That was like, uh, I mean, I've had guys from other agencies show up and their dog doesn't know sit, right? And like we bring them out and we're, we've got a bunch of food in our hands and he's trying to teach them basic obedience. It's like, well, shit, we got six weeks. Like hmm. we, and I did them a disservice by even accepting them into the class with that, with, with those dogs. And so like you're talking about Eric, like reflecting on where I kind of screwed up. Um, that was a big screw up on my end. I should have demanded, like I demand now, like they need to come with heel, sit down, bite a tug and let go of a tug, um, just right from the get go. So, um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm getting dogs from rich, which also come with the e-collar foundation and they've done some searches. So we hit the ground running like the handler class we have now, like, you know, at the end of week one, we're, we're way ahead of the game and I don't have to work the basics. Um, so, so like. You know, that's that's number one um, is just making sure that, um, you know, dogs come already with with the foundation. Um, and so so that's that's really helped out where we're at. But um, outside of that is um, like. That's part of the excitement of what we do is that we're not doing the same thing day in, day out. And I look back at the old time trainers back when I started and they were doing the same damn thing for 30 years, right? Throw chains. I don't know if you guys used, oh, used yeah. those back in the day, but oh, yeah, guys hucking throw chains and all this other stuff. And it's, there's been a renaissance in dog training. I think the information's already always been out there, uh, but we're just much more open. And I tell you, uh, back then, if, if like I brought anything um, from the sport world, they'd be like, you're going to get somebody killed out there with that sport shit. You don't let that Wait. dog ever carry that sleeve, you know, and, and so on and so forth. And so there was a real big stigma. And so, but we don't have that nowadays. Right. And, and like the, like, like you said, Eric, like the world has opened up and like, even like right now, like this basic handler class, we're starting two new things that we haven't done before. And maybe I'm behind the curve now. Right. Um, and one of them is, is when you came out and you did the e-collar class, um, you brought that, uh, e-collar tone recall and tone avoidance. And, um, I've been playing with it. And I love it. And it just, and I can't explain it. Like, and that's one thing that, 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 um, you know, so, uh, Phil is a ring sport guy, right? And if you go to a ring sport trial, you will see some, the most beautiful call-offs you've ever seen. Like dog is going 28 miles an hour down the field, whistle goes off, not a, not a verbal. And the dog just peels off at the very last second. And I talked to him, I'm like, how do you guys get those recalls? He's like, Hey, as a puppy, we're doing re we're doing whistle you know, for the recall to food, whistle, food, whistle, food. And we're, we're, we're building that association. So that whistle really means something to the dog. And then they progress it from there. So like your uh, methods with the e-collar and the tone just makes so much sense from there of just pairing it with the, with the recall and the leash pressure and going to food and pairing it. So it becomes important to the dog. And um, I've been using it for the outs and I've been, you know, we started off just like, I, I believe, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't want to butcher it, um, how you were, you were doing the, uh, you do the tone, and then you have the dog on a 15 foot, and you pull them back, and you keep the tone on until they get to you, then you give them food. 
Is that yep. how you're starting? Yep. Okay. Tone, the long tone means come find the human being. Yes. And so um, I think part of the problem with, with our training is dogs here, blah, 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 all day, right? The handler's just talking to them. And half the time they're not reinforcing commands or, you know, they say here, the dog starts to come back. They say search or they go here. The dog looks in the room. They want them to go into on a building search. They go search, you know, and one so of my biggest fucking pet peeves when handlers talk to dogs and yeah. Eric has been in HRGs with me when I tell him, I was like, you need to shut the fuck up. <laughs> you yeah. need to stop talking, dude. <laughs> like one command, one behavior, bro. Well, and the, the here is so ambiguous. Does here mean come all the way back to them? Does here mean stop and start searching in different rooms? Like, I don't think we've made it clear. And like in dog training, the, the problem is usually on our end, not the dog's end. They're friggin' honest. You know, the dog is who he is. It's just we haven't communicated properly. So, like, does the here mean come all the way back? Does it mean d- jump in the first room, the second room? Well, it's different all the time. Well, that's the problem, right? So... But the tone, just like you mentioned, of that stays on till you come, consistent, right? Also, it's foreign. Again, they, they hear talk all the time, and now here's this, and it just breaks through. And I really think some of the outing issues with some of our dogs, it may not be that they're being a disobedient, quote-unquote, dog. I think they sometimes don't hear us. Like, they're in the bite. And, you know, and I've had some guys come to me, and uh, I had a guy reach out from another state, and he had one command. Like, it was like... It was like foo, and you go foo on the dogs on the bite, and the dog's supposed to out immediately and come back to him. I'm like, dude, the dog, and he's like, oh, he's having all these problems. I'm like, that's all you tell him? Like, the dog probably doesn't foo. even hear you. <laughs> so, like, yeah. the dogs, in, like, have you ever been in a fight? <laughs> like, you're you gonna hear somebody behind you go foo, <laughs> you know? And then the dog's getting getting stemmed for it, and so now it's creating problems in the grips and so on and so forth. But I really, um, from what I've seen, implementing the tone, and, and I've. I'm a novice at it. I've been doing it a month and a half or so with our dogs and um, I've used it for the tone avoidance. And in, in one night I had such good success for a dog that's running around just nuking things because he had to unload and, and dope. And in the man search, he's biting curtains and he's biting bags and he's wanting to bite the couch. And I did three sessions of the tone recall and we went in and then I did tone stem on, on those, uh, on those objects. And that dog freaking picked it up and then he ran in, was going to bite something. I toned, he kept running and then searched and then found the decoy. And it was just, it was such a beautiful thing. So um, that's what's exciting. So Eric, maybe you can probably explain that better to your listeners and, and hopefully I didn't butcher that up too much. No, that that's perfect. So I teach the long tone recall. Um, then I teach tone avoidance, which is basically putting a underground fence around stuff without the, lightning bolt of electricity like an underground fence does so it's just classically conditioning the dog that the tone is a warning that his behavior is about to get him corrected which takes the handler completely out of the mix they they stop talking to the dog there's no no there's and they can manipulate mm-hmm. the dog around the room without talking to them giving positions away all kind they can manipulate him through a building with it um and then that breaks down into the bite work then I do um, uh, out of the ball. Now, when we talk about this, guys, I'm not saying that tone should be the out. I like the verbal to be the out, but it's out, tone, stem, out, tone, stem. Mm-hmm. Then eventually they race the tone, the, the stem, and they're outing on the tone. Then they race the tone, and they're outing on out. Then your out becomes a command and not a correction, and then they don't bear down harder when you talk, right? Because... Prior to that, every single thing you said came with a correction. 
So now your your verbal is the correction and not the behavior. Ted does it because um, he's using uh, a lot um, the a lot of nineteen hundred S's. So for him, it's um, vibrate, and the vibrate is freaking magical. That vibrate on that dog is so strong. He he'll send me videos all the time of it, and he'll put a um, sound box, you know, the dog squawk box, and you'll hear the squawk box, but it's just letting the the person know or him know when the handler's on the vibrate like he's supposed to be, or on the stem. And um, it just clears up all these conflict, and it's mm-hmm. it's the basis of what I'm what I'm doing. What I like about like you doing this, and and I see this at, at every seminar I teach. Someone in the group will will believe that the tone will make the dog stop searching. It'll make them afraid of a dresser if you tone them off. It makes them afraid of a man if you tone them off the man. And it's like they don't understand that it's it's in that instant, in that minute. You're telling them tone, leave it alone. Like leave that alone. You've already sniffed that three times. Mm-hmm. Move on. And yeah. because if you let them go back the fourth time, they're going to sit. They're going to solicit. You know, there's nothing there. Tone them off, redirect, and move. And then I find I can dogs in the building. I'm like, where the fuck is he at? And while I'm searching, I can just be, and you'll hear it get louder as he comes running to you without mm-hmm. you yelling and giving your position away. That's awesome. So yeah, that's it, man. I love it. I'm glad you um I'm glad you let Rich show it to you. <laughs> it's a game changer, brother. And I, and I appreciate you bringing it out here because um just like you said, it reduces the conflict with the handler because what would have done before if the dog's going in there and, and he's nuking something in a search because he's boiling over, we have oh, wait, and then overlay some stim and then the dog gets nervous. He's like, "Okay, well, I'm just going to come back where it's safe." And now he's hovering around the handler, right? And the handler's in, it's become a part of this thing where the tone is just like it's coming from another source. Like you said, it's coming from the object and it's uh, so far, man, I'm, I'm a huge fan. And so I'm, I'm, I'm doing just like you mentioned on our, this basic handler class, uh, the handler saying out tone and then stem. And right now we have five dogs in the handler class starting week two and they're freaking outing beautifully. And they're, they're, they're beating me on the tone. Like they're outing before yeah. the tone. And I don't, remember when I've had a handler class where all the dogs are outing so cleanly this early in, in, you know, in, uh, in the class. And, and so I, man, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a fan. So, so yeah, cause then you can move up. on, you know, you can move on to other things. And Ted and I talk about this a lot at our, when we teach is you're obsessing over the out the guys are obsessing over something that they have to do once a year. And they're obsessing over it, and it affects the way you're working. It affects the way you're training. It affects your your mm-hmm. vibe you're putting off, your energy. It affects the way you handle the dog, how tense you are. It affects your mindset. It affects all of that. Why not just get a nice, clean thing that there's no conflict, no struggle, get it over with, and we can – let's go work on cop shit, man. You know what I mean? Let's go work on some fun stuff with it. Um and Ted has been using a lot out of sight where the guys, the dog's out of sight and he's able to out and bring the dog back. And your handlers, Ted is probably blowing them away. Like, fuck, this is easy. Oh yeah. Well, and it's Damon and he did it today during the handler school. He's like, or I'm sorry, during the decoy camp. So we have a bunch of agencies there. So Aries, the, our, the dog is biting and he's, he, pref- he, well, he doesn't prefer anything, but he'll bite legs all day long. So I tell Damon, I was like, this is his last one. Go put him up. He's like, I'm going to try something. So Damon backs up and just stands there. And 
the one thing that I like about this method is that you're not sacrificing. A lot of times you see dogs that are kind of like half-ass committed because they're continually ready to, to uh, come back to the handler when they do too many outs. So you get grip degradation, right? So you get lack of commitment on bites and it's kind of half-ass or you have the opposite side where they know they're like, fuck you. There's nothing you could do about it. And I'm going to commit 110% and there's nothing that you can do that can pull me off of this. So <clears throat> With the dogs that were in this decoy school that were my dogs, um, they have this super hard commitment to biting, but then when it's time to out, they out, they come back like instantly. So Damon today hits this page and I tell the decoy or he tells somebody tells the decoy, like, stop moving. He freezes up and Damon hits the page, dog outs, comes back to heel. Damon just stands there and everybody kind of looks at him and I'm like, were you, what you do? Cause I didn't have him on a swalk box. He doesn't need mm -hmm. it right now, but I was like, oh, and he was like, I paged him. I'm like, Oh, fucking classic. Nice. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Keep doing that. <laughs> yeah. Keep doing that. That's yeah. Bueno, <laughs> but no. And he was up two three weeks ago and we had the dog, I don't know, 40 yards away from us way down a flight of stairs into a dark room and dog is biting. And I'm like, all right, call him back. And I had him on a squawk box at that point, And I hear him page him dog comes mocking back to him like all right i believe you mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> you've right. been you've been doing your homework i get it i believe you yeah i i really like yeah. it and in, in the once the guys buy in and they understand you got to get a little sciencey with them you know about classical conditioning and mm -hmm. i have a story that i tell them about a dog that we did a, a pet dog actually it was pretty aggressive that um the tone had more value and it's with all the dogs the tone has more value than the stem itself so you can be stimming an aggressive dog and they get worse mm -hmm. and then stop and hit tone and they'll drop to their stomach. Um, I had a dog from Canada, same problem you're talking about, nuking everything. It's the worst one I've ever seen. Uh, nuking everything in the room to where we couldn't even, oh, yeah. we couldn't even just work, working on uh, basic uh, layering the e-collar stim recall because everything he walked by, he, he was picking up. He grabbed a, a monster energy can or an empty one and shredded it and swallowed like half of it. Holy mackerel. Yeah. He, he was on a dominant dog collar and, and unconscious, almost just about unconscious on every rep on something. And, um, I figured out with him, you know, for him, stem had created a fight, right? So with him, I would go up on the, I'd hit tone, go up on the stem and then, Stop. Well, they were on vibrate. They had a dog trust. So it'd be vibrate stem and he's up there. And then he would, his possession was so high. He would get this, you know, at the edge of his teeth and I'm not letting go. No matter what you do, stop, hit vibrate, boop, pop off next rep, vibe uh, out. And then he would pop on the vibrate next rep out on the um, verbal. So we didn't fix him. He's got, I mean, he's got problems. That guy, that dog's got things. The guy he's one, you can never give him any freedom, like he's got to stay on it. Uh, but at night after class, he was these guys, cause they didn't have enough to do. They went tracking, um, down the sidewalk and he found a winter hat, a toque. I'm told in the Canadians, he grabbed this uh -huh. winter hat and tried to swallow it. They've, they, uh, out vibrate, bloop, threw it out. Dogs never done that. I, I, I said, that's that alone for me was worth it for that guy. But so we had to work that a little bit differently than him, but, but them, you know, 127 on a dog trend, they're still holding on. 
guys, a lot of guys, they don't know where to go. They're done. I, I'm tapped out. I don't know what to do. So what do you do? You stop stimming. So now the dog has learned. I'll just hold on. I just got to mm-hmm. fucking hold on. It's going to go away at some point. And then it becomes a cue. The stim becomes a cue. Just fucking hold on. But the vibrate or the tone has more value. So you stop, hit the tone, they pop off. So what I was just doing to you, the tone had more value threatening what I was just doing. It's fucking dogs, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Science. <laughs> yeah. Science. Um, so let's, let's, uh, this, we, we've gone long on this one. Let's, um, let's talk about the, the podcast. Big changes. If you guys have not caught up with Police Canine Radio lately, they have a whole fucking studio. It's a whole setup. They change the way their format is. Yeah. What I like about your show, um, because of the way we do it, you know, we're we're um, two three times a month, so we can't just find educational folks. We do a lot of entertainment, you know, and then we're bouncing around the working dog. We have search and rescue people on it. All of your episodes seem to be a training or teaching of some sort. Yeah. Um, how did you kind of land on that? Is it just natural? So, um, two things. Um, number one, credit to you guys. And I, I've said this in the past. Um, you guys are the innovators in this industry with Working Dog Radio. And it's what motivated me to start doing this kind of thing. So, um, you know, and you guys, man, you've been putting out the episodes. And so, I mean, mm. I've taken breaks along the way. Um, because of just getting overwhelmed with life and everything and trying to balance shit out. And man, you guys are just constantly doing it, doing it, doing it. So, um, so kudos to you guys. Um, you know, you, you, you kind of brought this world, I think to the, to the working community. Um, secondly, um, I didn't mention it earlier, but my wife runs all the books and, and basically does everything with the business and allows me just to play with dogs and do the fun shit. So, you know, 24 agencies, we bill monthly. She deals with all the insurance, all that shit. Like you guys know what I'm talking about, like dealing with insurance companies and dealing with agencies and timelines. And if, you know, if it was me, I probably wouldn't have been paid half the time. I wouldn't have known it. So, um, <laughs> so thanks to her, Candace. So yeah. um, the podcast itself. Um, yeah. Like um, you guys, you know, I felt like, honestly, like you guys are out there, you know, you're interviewing people, you guys do a great job. And then it's like, then we're trying to find people and then we're interviewing the same people. And I felt like there was a little bit of redundancy. And um, again, you guys were the initial in the market. You were the, the industry leaders. You are the industry leaders. And so um, the whole reason I got into it was I wanted to reach out to Greg Tony that started in that that little town of 3,500 that didn't know anything, that just got lucky he didn't get killed because he didn't find somebody that really wanted to kill him. Um, and And so around the country, there is a lot of people and handlers that do not have access to good training because of where they're at. They're, they're, you know, in these rural areas or even in some of the big cities where you think they have better training. Um, they don't cause they got the 30 year old, 30 year guy that's been doing it the same way and hasn't, hasn't progressed and they're hungry for information. And those are the guys and gals that it's like, that's who we wanted to reach out to. And, um, we've gone to YouTube because I found myself trying to explain, just like we're having this conversation with the tone, Eric, and it's like, you're explaining it and I hear you. And I'm like, yeah, man, like that's, that's how you do it. And then I'll talk to somebody and they'll be like, uh, I listened to it. And they, they got it all fucked up. Like they're yeah. just, they're just for whatever reason, they're not hearing it. Like I meant to say it. And I was like, wow, I would really like to do a visual component to that. So Kyle Schoberg with shots fired podcast. He already invested in all the equipment. Dude, he's got like 10 grand into the studio and he's allowed Rich and I to come in there and, and, and 
uh, podcast from 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 his what he's actually started and let us build off of that. So um, otherwise, I mean, honestly, like um, everything he's put in there, we, we wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't have put that kind of investment in it. Um, you know, as you know, our, our podcast costs us money. Um, but I, I look at it as, again, my 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 whole goal is to um, I, I take what we do so seriously and I want guys to go home safe and I want the guys that want help, which are the guys that are listening to your podcast right now and that tune in to, 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 to the YouTube or, or to our podcast, whatever. Um, like it's those guys that I want to help. And so we found that going, you know, visual with, uh, with, uh, with YouTube is kind of going to help us kind of push that direction. So when we have somebody that says, Hey, we'd like to be on your, on your podcast to go, all right, great. Um, what are you going to bring to the table? And do you have some video to demonstrate it? Um, because that's, you know, that's kind of where we're going is more the instructional end. Like you said, um, like we had Aaron Taylor on and we did some of the tone stuff on our, our last one. And, um, you know, we got some comments from people like, yeah, man, that's, that's awesome. Um, and it's like, like, and for you, Eric, to promote your stuff, like, um, you know, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to say that, but like you're doing that e-collar class and like, guys, if you're listening to this, like get Eric out there, I, I'm telling you this, this stuff is a game changer, you know, and I don't want to beat it to death, but man, it, it, uh, it excites me because it's like, well, I've been using the e-collar for 30 years. I thought I had this goddamn thing down, you know what I mean? Three action introduction, you know, like that's teach him to go away, do a static position, do a recall. And then, you know, here we come in this industry. That's what's great about this industry. And that's what excites me. And that's why I want to bring people in and talk about this stuff. And, um, you know, it's, um, yeah, so that's been the whole motivation. So, um, yeah, we try to do uh, two a month is what we're shooting for, uh, one every two weeks. Um, it's a little bit heavier on the on the editing. So, um, you know, that's, that's just another thing that, that I've kind of taken on. But, um, yeah, no, man, it's... Uh, it's, it's good stuff. Like, and, and, you know, again, thank you to you guys for, for, for getting the ball rolling. Yeah. The Aaron yeah. Taylor episode is science, buddy. You, yeah. and it, it's a hundred miles an hour. So oh, he, that dude. That. Well, cause you yeah. have a rich side canine. So you, you, yeah, you, you're, yeah. you've, you've been around Aaron a lot, man. He's, he's full of energy and he was drinking that energy drink. And I'm like, brother, oh. you don't need that energy drink. You're off and running, but great stuff. Yeah, that's the big myth that podcasts are cheap and easy. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a every lot of time them. you Google it, and they're like, "Oh, it's cheap and easy, right?" Oh, you, you can like, do it. Yeah. yeah, with just a nine thousand dollar <laughs> budget every month, but you have none of no money. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, when you guys said, "Hey, talk to you know, get in touch with Brian, our producer," I was like, "Producer." You guys got a producer? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I need to. We I need to couple... take some notes from you guys because you guys are doing it right. Yeah, somebody reached out to me the other day um, about a, a possible sponsor, and it's a direct competitor with one of our our other sponsors. I sent them to you guys. I don't know if anybody's called you yet, and I need to find them on my yeah. Instagram and I appreciate and that. get on it. But See, I said, this is the guys. Call them. Get get on theirs. They got a good audience and everything. It's just that for us, it was would have absolutely been a, a conflict. See, this is what's yeah. awesome about you guys, and um, I mean that, man. I, I appreciate it. like you guys have always been welcoming, and even when we just got started with our podcast, you had us on and you know try to put us out there. And that's that's what's different about this community now is there's guys like you that are like welcoming, and you're like, hey, you know, I think you have the same message, right? Like, let's get out there, let's share this information. This, 
guys, if you know, they're listening to this. This was not like this 15 years ago. It was a camp. This is my camp. This is their camp. We do everything right. They do everything wrong. And we were very insecure. So it shows, you know, how confident you guys are in what you do, that you're willing to just, you know, put put others out there as well and try to bring them along for the ride. And I, I do appreciate that. Yeah. And then we go on other people's shows and stuff. I like it. You know, it's good. It's nice to go on a podcast and not be have responsibility. Just show up and talk. It's, that, that part's pretty good. <laughs> Um, don't have to fucking run down and reset my modem and all the other horse shit like today. So. <laughs> so, That's behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. So Fuck. Th- this is my spare bedroom. So you guys, this is not some glamour shots place here. And that's Ted's in his office. Um, yeah. my, my room is too small to put my thing up that, that I have one of those like behind him. It's seven feet wide. My room is not. So I, I don't know that I can fit it in there, but, um, so those, if you're listening to this right now, <clears throat> Joe, Pocono Joe, and you guys uh, that run these conferences and stuff like that, yeah. you, I'm telling you, you guys are missing out on, on not having Greg teach at these things. I know you've, you've taught it a lot of California stuff and there's some other ones you've taught at, but, and I, fuck, I might be talking on my ass because you might not have time to teach at any of these places, mm-hmm. but everybody tells me at these conferences, Ted and I talk about all the time that we want new people. We want new people. We want fresh. We want different. And listen, Ted and I are good, good instructors. And I'm, we're, we're not, um, too blind to realize that they'll have us teach at all these conferences all the time because the podcast and because we work things out and it works out and we can, we have a, we can get people there and our room gets full and and everything like that. And people like to look at the dancing monkeys and see what we look like and (laughs) come and talk to us. And it's all cool and everything. But if you want somebody new who's fucking been doing it, he's right here. DTAC canine out in California. Look him up. Greg Tawney. He, he's doing it all the time and not stale either. Like he, he could be just like we talked about today. You could be teaching how to run a training group, anything. There's so many different things you could be teaching. And um, I think we get into sometimes the, 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 these folks get so busy setting up the conferences that they don't, like brand they don't realize they don't study who's you know who's new and well, stuff and, and like location i mean greg's out in california and i mean eric you know this from doing conferences or seminars all over the country right? like the difference between texas and the new england and then northern california the way that people do things and the way dogs are handled and the way dogs are trained and even fucking policies and everything and it's an interesting to watch like when those streams cross <laughs> like when you get dudes from like one side of the country mixing with uh, that do the same job and it's like you do what and they're like how do you do this and it's interesting to watch because and i've set in some classes from guys that are from california and dudes from florida or dude from georgia or dudes from like east coast east coast like upper east coast like massachusetts connecticut not that there's anything wrong with anything those guys are doing but it's they don't do it the same way and the policies are different. The mentalities are different. The culture is different at their agencies. Like everything is different. So everything that comes out of your mouth is like, I, you're speaking the same language, but I like, I'm having some like perception issues here. <laughs> like what mm-hmm. the fuck are you talking about? And it's always good because, and everybody is on the same team and rarely do I ever like encounter, not with me, but I'm the funny one. But so inevitably not everybody has any problems with me, but inevitably I never see dudes that are like, you know, combating from, I, I ran into a guy from a large agency in, in Georgia 
who was watching a presentation from somebody that was from a large agency in Washington state. And he was like, fuck, I've never heard any of this. I'm like, really? Like, you've never heard anything? He's like, no, that's not how we do it because such and such trainer is from this area and he was here 40 years ago and this is how all these other trainers do it and it's endemic in this area and this is how everybody does it. I'm like, mm -hmm. well. Now you I pick, mean, now you learn something. I, you know? We have a fucking remote control. We have a remote control helicopter on Mars and you're just now learning that there's another state in this country that does something differently. <laughs> and like they're like, oh, that's a good point. So, and I mean, that's to me is the main takeaway from most of these conferences. You have guys that go around that are super good at what they do in their area and they meet somebody else that's super good at what they do in their area that does the same thing. They're like, oh, that's what the bar's for at night. You know well, I mean? exactly. That's one of the most, that's one of the most valuable conversations right. happen anyway. Right. <laughs> so give us your socials. Where can people find you? Not your social security number. I mean, you can give, you can say, yeah, I don't do that. I won't fall for that again. Money. Yeah. Nah, yeah. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Uh, so I, I, I'm not doing the Facebook thing anymore. They actually cut me off for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe they hmm. thought I was a domestic terrorist or something. Must be. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, I am on Instagram, uh, DTAC, K-9-D-T-A-C-K, the number nine. Um, that's really the, the, the best place to find me other than just, you know, uh, looking at stuff on the podcast and stuff like that. I try to always have our email out there. My email for, for anybody that, that wants to get in touch with me. Um, and I'm... Eric, and I've listened to you talk about it, and, and Ted, I know you're good about it, is like if somebody reaches out and they have a problem, um, I do my best to um, try to help work with them the best we can, you know, through text messages and sending videos and talking on the phone of mm -hmm. helping them solve their problem. Um, so I, I am available for that. I mean, that goes in line with my, my mission statement with helping guys out there that want to help. And so you can reach my email is trainers, T-R-A-I-N-E-R-S at D-T-A-C-K, the number nine, dot com. And then I have, of course, a website at dtacknine.com. Nice. Um, like it. What about you, Ted? Where are you at? Uh, Ted underscore Summers on the Instagrams. Uh, my Facebook is something similar at nothing important, but Instagram is the easiest way to get only for work stuff. Uh, and then working underscore dog underscore radio for the podcast, HRD police canine for the HRD side of it. I also, since Papa Elon took over Twitter, I started a Twitter account and I was promptly banned or well locked down three times in a row because uh, apparently I post pictures of then videos of dogs finding drugs and dogs binding bite suits, which is mm still fairly fucking scary for the twitter twitter verse so i just saw a vagina on twitter this morning what yeah the fuck? well elon musk yeah, is in there look, now he'll probably yeah, well, exactly so <laughs> i mean terrorist and yeah exactly like ex yeah so i'm on twitter but i'm not very active on it it doesn't matter what about you eric <laughs> instagram van sk9 um facebook is also van sk9 academy but those are linked so it's the same just just go to the instagram uh, workingdogradio.com is the website for, and we have all our merch on there. We have some really good t-shirts on there. The, uh, oh, yeah. Stellan is my safe word is flying off the shelf, but we got, mm. uh, the, we can put that on a lot of shit. You can put that on t-shirts and hoodies, the hoodies we got coming out right now, real thick, I guess, real nice. Um, yep. and then if you got to email me, Eric at van and that's it, man. Greg, I really appreciate you coming on. Hey. Thanks for, uh, sticking through the audio problems we had in the beginning. Oh man, I'm I'm used to it. Like I said, I'm not sitting in my F one fifty, so I feel good. And hey, right. but, but but thank you guys for having me. And again, thanks for everything mm -hmm. you're doing for the industry. I, I I'd love to meet you meet Bye. up with you guys at a freaking conference and freaking have some beers because we have we have yeah. yet to do that. 
So one of these days, Joe. one of these days, our, our paths are going to cross. Yeah. Listen, nah, Joe, nah, Joe. They're fucking, they're booked now. Get hits though, man. Are they? got to get you at hits. That's uh, true. They're at Arizona this year. Arizona, yeah. closer. They have a they they have a way or like you can surf in the desert. Yeah, I'm not taking I'm my shirt dead. off though. So, I, I, I don't. All these guys at the pool in Florida with their shirts off. Billy Sawyer, who's ripped with muscles. Hey, come to the pool. I'm like, fuck yourself, Billy. I'm not doing <laughs> that. Fucking Billy. I got. I, I had a long sleeve shirt. I'm like, I ain't showing nobody nothing. So, <laughs> anyways, all right, man, Greg, I appreciate you. Thank you very much, all right, guys. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, guys. You got your reasons. I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young. Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E.blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.